Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time out of their schedules to join us today. I am incredibly excited to be here alongside such a passionate uh, and excited and knowledgeable group here. If, if you look at it collectively, there's over 10 years of quant and QNT research in the, the panelist speakers you have here before you. So what we're looking to do is to take some of the biggest questions around some really big ideas in crypto and break them down and walk through them together. We wanna to make sure that we can make this something that helps you all improve your understanding of what QNT is, of what Quant Network is as an organization, the broader strategy, and then the intricacies involved in those moving pieces. And then when we have that bigger picture, it allows us to step back and then kind of see what's actually going on. Because when we focus only on specific details, especially those that we've maybe been trained to focus on from crypto as a whole, it takes us away from the broader vision that Quant is accomplishing. Because objectively speaking, Quant is a technology company that builds infrastructure and that builds platforms for other companies to build off of. It's not a direct-to-consumer um, B2C interaction like you normally see in crypto. It, and because of that, there's nuances in how they operate, there's nuances in the communication. There, there's just quite a few things that go into understanding the depth of what this actually is and the distinction between what makes Quant Network, uh, the organization and their products different from what we see in virtually every other example in crypto. So before we get started, I wanna take a moment to introduce all of our speakers today. So Greg, if you wanna kick us off. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Hungarian. Um, hello, everybody. Welcome to the q and I'm Greg, and I've been in Quant since, sorry, I'm just eating a banana. Um, I'm in Quant since October 2020, and I started creating content in September 2021, about a year later. Uh, just recently started posting on Twitter the last couple months, and it's been really awesome going up and back with you all and sharing information and kind of doing these little treasure hunts and deep dives into 
all of the speculative and hard evidence that we have out there. And I'm excited to talk about some of the some of the lighter and hard hitting questions that the community has offered up to us. So, uh, yeah, I'll pass it along to Tim. Oh, hey, everyone. I hope everyone can uh, hear me clearly. This is my first ever Twitter space. And, uh, well, if that's the case, I would like to introduce myself. I'm Tim. I'm, uh, well, the person after, uh, I mean, behind Quantum Dates on Instagram. Now also the Quantum Show on uh, Twitter. And that is our podcast that I make with Jarno. Uh, and, yeah, it's just such a pleasure to be here and uh, be able to speak to you guys. I'll be hope, uh, I'm hoping to at least answer some uh, questions and just uh, offer you an interesting perspective. So uh, it's a honor to be here and uh, let's see how it goes. Really excited for it. Dr. Puppers, let's kick it over to you. Hey, everyone. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, Dr. Puppers. Uh, I've been in Quant a while, like uh, I think like 2018. So I've uh, seen the community grow over time, and it's been uh, uh, one hell of a ride. Um, I am, am one of the admins that runs the uh, Council of Quant, both the group and the Twitter account. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Quantidian. Yeah, uh, hopefully everybody can hear me okay. This is the first time I'm using this uh, this mic, but um, uh, I'm Quantidian. I've been in Quant since uh, 2019, but it wasn't really until 2021 20, that I started really getting into it and becoming like part of the community. Uh, probably the thing I've, I've contributed most to that is um, making a bunch of Gilbert GIFs, and I pronounce it GIF, and I don't want to hear about it. Um, but uh, otherwise, I'm just uh, super into uh, being a part of the community. It's a real honor to be here. I think I'm going to be more of a, a passenger today, but I'll, I'll chip in if it feels like it's uh, useful. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a huge honor to be you know, uh, here because uh, all of these other folks talking really know their stuff. And uh, I love talking about quants, so I'm looking forward to it. And last but never least, Jarno. Yes, am I audible? Good evening, everybody. It, am I audible? Yes, sir. Yes, Excellent, great. Yeah, I've been messing around with also streaming this simultaneously to the Comfy Show, uh, the YouTube, and first time Twitter Spaces, first time streaming. So it's a little bit of a well regular Comfy Show. Um, so yeah, I'm Jarno. I'm uh, together with Tim, host of the Quanfi Show, and um, been in Quant since 2020, creating content, Quantent, um, ever since. Well, what was that? No, yeah, last November, um, since we started this uh, this uh, this big endeavor, and uh, really excited to be here, and uh, curious uh, how tonight will go. Thank you. Well, thanks to all of you for being here. I really appreciate it so much. My name is Hungarian. I've been with the community for uh, about two years now, and I love quant. <laughs> uh, simply put, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. You know, I've always kind of been interested in innovation in various forms, and, and quant kind of embodies all of the things that are most exciting about innovation. You know, the opportunity, of course, that's, you know, I think why a lot of us are here, 
But beyond that, there there's a lot of exciting potential and implications beyond what's happening. And for those of you that have been in like maybe the quant community or you know circles of influence from this community, you've heard of ideas that talk about things like the internet of trust and the internet of value and, and some of these larger, almost intangible concepts. What's exciting about that is when we start to look at distributed ledger technology as a whole, what we're seeing is paradigm shifts in how humans interact with each other. We're seeing a fundamental shift in how we're able to interact with value, how we are able to organize ourselves as a species, how like virtually everything in our modern landscape is a product of the inability to trust someone you don't know. And now that we have this, really this evolution in, in human interaction and in organization and accounting, we are going to see over the coming years and decades, so many changes to things that we consider quite constant right now. And when we talk about quant, it comes from that kind of foundation. It comes from the idea that we're looking at the tech itself and we're breaking it down to the very standards and the very core uh, infrastructure of how it works and building up from there. So when we cover some of the things today, like um, like QRC20 or ODAP or, or some of these things, the idea is that this isn't just the next big thing in crypto. It's not the next shiny product. Um, what, what this is, is technology that's coming out that is going to advance the space as a whole. It's going to advance humanity as a whole. And, you know, we're probably a couple years away from seeing some of the larger applications for, you know, enterprise and governmental uses and commercial rollouts across you know, every single person. But even in the short term, the next six, 12, 18 months, there's still so many exciting things that are going to happen. And today, I, I hope that we're able to illustrate the magnitude of what Quant is really offering and the distinction that they offer, both as a, a company in the efficacy of their solutions, but also um, selfishly as, as an investment vehicle. Why is the QNT token such an attractive thing? Why do you see this group of people in front of you today that has spent, again, over 10 years in this one community learning and, and still learning? So we're, we're here today, Cher, and we're here today because it's something that we're extremely passionate about. And I, I'm looking forward to interacting with all of you. I'm looking forward to hearing what questions you guys have brought. Um, this is an open Q&A, so as we go throughout our session today, you guys are all encouraged to request to speak and to ask questions uh, to help clarify and understand the content as we go through it. And also, as we get to the back end of the event, we're going to be opening it up for a live discussion on any type of questions you guys have that we didn't get a chance to cover. So, kicking it off, um, over the last week, we've collected some information via Telegram and Twitter basically asking the, the broader community, what do you want to learn about quant or what are your biggest questions? And a lot of these questions come from people that are already inside the community and they have a greater knowledge of, of what the products are and how they work. So they're going to be, some of these are going to be specific technical questions and, and that's going to be really interesting to some of you guys. But if you're just joining us and, and you're new to the quant community or you haven't had a chance to do a whole lot of research yet, I'm going to try to provide a little bit of context around some of these more specific questions just to help illustrate the broader picture of what's going on. So kicking it off, uh, I'm going to start with something that I think everybody here is going to be really excited about because uh, it's something that gets asked a lot and it's something that we don't have enormous clarity on yet. 
So th there is a little bit of interpretation, there's a little bit of deduction, and there's also a little bit of critical thinking involved with this process. And what am I talking about? QNT utility. The QNT token is the heart of the quant network, of Overledger, of Overledger network, of all of quant networks products. Uh, they cannot operate without the QNT token. We'll, we'll get into that here shortly. But I have a couple questions specifically about the token. Uh, and the first one, pretty straightforward, is what is the utility of the QNT token? So which one of you guys wants to start that with? Well, I think the, the obvious, like, first utility is for the licensing right and a lot of it like you mentioned we don't know exactly how it's going to play out when everything starts to flesh out and really flourish and the network becomes as powerful as it's going to be and starts to harness all the use cases but what we do know is that in order to even access the network you need to uh, you need to pay in fiat dollars to quant network the company and that money is then converted instantly into QNT tokens. And those QNT tokens are locked up. And they're locked up in smart contracts that last for the duration of your license, which is typically a one-year license. And so what this does is it creates a floor for um, supply in terms of taking uh, the quantity off the market. Um, and so when you have a token that's already at 14.6 million, which is a pretty low supply if you compare it to most coins, like for instance, one of Bitcoin's most desirable properties is its scarcity. It's 21 million and Quant is at 66% of that approximately. So you have a really low token supply to begin with, with no inflation. And then you're taking a bunch of them off the market every year, locking up in licenses. And as you bring new people and new clients and new businesses into the network, that number will rise uh, of tokens that are being locked up. And then you also have the gateways, which are not live. And I'm sure we'll get into that later because that's a big question. But once that system kind of takes off, you're going to need to stake your QNT tokens into gateways to help decentralize the network. So this is, it, it basically shrinks the supply um, in terms of what's available on exchanges and it's going to drive price. Um, now, the other utility is going to be for actually making transactions. And the QNT token, a piece of that is broken off for every transaction that's made on the Overledger network and rewarded to the gateways. So even if you're not running a gateway and you want to, let's just say, come in and build an application uh, or you want to, you know, bring a bunch of users in or your company to come use something or to access a certain data marketplace that has started to evolve, uh, you will again need to purchase QNT tokens on the open market. So the utility is to run gateways. It's to get licenses to create or to access the network from a developer standpoint, or it's to access it from a user standpoint and to come in and, and build, um, even if it's just independent projects. Um, now, I think where you start to open up your mind a little bit and it's, it's kind of hard to speculate, but there is going to be an entire, in my belief, an entire new game theory that starts to take place when this stuff starts to scale. So when you have a network that has now plugged in massive amounts of data, and we're not just talking about like financial transactions, 
because if you know about quant, you know their links to CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, and connecting these different banks and, and cross-border payments and all of these types of things. And that's excellent. However, there's also going to be a large amount of data that gets plugged into this network to flow across all of these new channels. And you're going to have new revenue models for different enterprises that are pushing their data or creating programmable uh, types of infrastructure that allows people to come in and borrow their data or purchase their data. Um, these different like decentralized marketplaces are going to evolve. And I think there's going to be ways to apply Q&T tokens um, to help people access data and to manipulate data and to trade data that we can't even really like wrap our head around just yet. The same way that you can't really wrap your head around if you're in 1998, you know that the internet is this thing that's going to connect everything and it's exciting. And maybe, you know, people are starting to fathom like, oh, you could have a marketplace and an Amazon kind of pops up or you could have like a search engine and Google pops up, but there's no way you could have predicted uh, Snapchat. You know what I mean? Like it's just a little too far down the road. But these are the types of things um, I think the Q&T token will end up having an entirely different layer of utility that's non-obvious to, to us right now. Wow, that was an absolutely phenomenal answer. Um, I, I want to zoom out a little bit because I know that there's going to be some people on this call right now that aren't from our community. And they're hearing things that they know that sounds great and it's exciting, but it also sounds a lot like things you hear in virtually every single other crypto project. Um, not saying that Quant is a crypto project, but really just trying to compare things here. So um, when, when we talk about the like the end use cases and the applications for Quant's technology, when Greg mentions like Amazon scale organizations, um, those types of things get thrown around a lot. But Quant is really building something that allows for those types of use cases to evolve. I mean, from like a technical standpoint, what you can do with Overledger and, and some of Quant's products is only able to be done um, with, with something like this. So if you have an enterprise scale product and you want to roll it out to you know millions of end users and like let's say you, you build your network and it you you plan on it running you know a hundred thousand dollars a day or whatever the cost is, if you have any changes like any changes in how the network operates, any changes in like the security, any compromise to scalability, you have a very ineffective way of rolling out your platform. And you're, you really just don't see established global brands doing this type of like reactionary work. Like it, it's gonna work in crypto for now, but to, to see true real world adoption and rollout of crypto and DLT, you have to have the platforms that provide the stability and the security and the scalability to operate at true internet scale. Um, Dr. Puppers. Hey, thanks, Hungarian. Uh, yeah, I just want to add to that. Um, the, I, I think people underestimate just how integral the Q&T token is to everything Quant Network is rolling out. Um, uh, as far as I've understood it, but any use of basically any product they're going to be rolling out, so, or has been rolled out, so Overledger or Overledger Network, or MLTs, the multi-ledger tokens, etc. If um, at any point um, the you know uh, something integrates any of these products, a payment in QNT has to happen. Um, and I base this on uh, a quote from uh, Gilbert that he wrote in like 2019, 
Uh, I'm going to read it out because it's, it's uh, quite interesting. So he says, uh, we're working on being the financial infrastructure to move digital assets between networks. There's a lot of activity in this space by banks. We're making QNT the way to sign, encrypt, and secure digital assets to move them between banks, making it the universal utility token. Can, uh, can you imagine QNT moving JP Morgan coin to another bank or Facebook's Libra coin? All these need interoperabil interoperability to transfer between parties. We're making that a reality. So um, I think that like the, the utility of the QNT token cannot be underestimated. It is basically anything like the, he uses the phrase universal uh, utility token. And I think there is, a, there is a reason why he puts it in those words. It's basically anything that the, they're, they'll, they'll be rolling out will be touched by the token. It really is amazing to think about how much demand there really will be for the QNT token. Um, I'm reminded of another quote, and John, I'm going to grab you in a sec here, but um, I'm reminded of another quote from Gilbert from, I believe, the LCX interview. And it's when he's asked about something around use cases for the QNT token. And it, the question was like a really surface level, like, like is the QNT token necessary? Something like that. And Gilbert kind of uh, basically laughs a little bit and he starts talking about how he, he draws analogies to like a layer one kind of solution where you see this base currency uh, that allows you to interact throughout the entire network. So just as you might use, you know, AVAX tokens or Solana tokens or any other, you know, major blockchain, you, you use their base network token to interact with the broader network. That's the same thing that you're going to see with Quant. So as we see applications and infrastructure and products and microservices and MDAPs and all these different things roll out from public and private. Um, the vehicle of interaction is QNT. And even if you're not a crypto user, I mean, it doesn't matter because it's all automated. So for people that are using these services, they just pay uh, in fiat, they pay dollars just like they would in, you know, if you wanted to go get the newest version of Microsoft Office or if you wanted to interact with any other service or product online and it's all automated to convert to crypto and provide this incremental scarcity via utility um jarno i know you've been uh, waiting on that so i'm gonna jump to you next and then continue to catch you after that yeah thanks hungarian um i yeah uh, i yeah i totally agree with what you just said and what i want to add to that is that people also need to understand um that q and t is an, a real utility token and what I often see is that people are misunderstanding um, Quant's, Quant's purpose. I mean, Quant itself is not a means of payment. So it, it is not like, like, like XRP or Bitcoin. And that means that whatever data is being sent, no matter how small, no matter how large, QNT is always needed because it's used to sign the transaction and all that good stuff um, that has been explained before. Um, so it, it, it's far farther reaching than, than just money alone. And we all know the, um, the, the 26, 27 verticals um, that Quant is actually targeting. It's been created, I believe, in, in council or council by somebody. Um, that makes it really exciting because the interoperability that, that Overledger and Overledger Network provides 
and what 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 QNT makes possible far far outreaches whatever is going on in crypto. And if you look at all crypto projects, 99% is just trying to be money or to make money better. But there's so much more going on in the world. Think about um, healthcare, supply chain, all those things. And then think of all the utility that Quant provides. Then imagine that, well, this may be a crazy example, but every email that's going to run through Overledger could be considered a transaction. So everything that, that, that is being sent over the network requires Q&T to a degree and also um, obviously requires a gateway. So every entity that uses it needs gateways. They need to lock Q&T and whether they want to do that themselves or they're going to um, let, let the task be performed um, by, by, by Treasury or whatever. They're going to be um, many, many different options. I heard someone say gateways as a service. So that means that the token is highly deflationary. There's going to be tons of lockups and the utility is going to go crazy because it's going to be used for everything. And, and it doesn't matter if a transaction is 1 trillion times one transaction or um, it, it, it's about the data that's being sent. So every message requires quant, which makes it super, super scarce, especially considering um, all of us are actually owning the vast majority of, uh, of all the tokens. Super excited. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to piggyback on what you're saying here as somebody who's, you know, done a lot of reading about quant over the last little while is like one of the really fascinating and, and cool things about it is the elegance of the centrality of the token to the project as a whole, because it's used as uh, if you want to interact with the overledger ecosystem in any way, the token is your key to get into it. Like it's used as payment on the network for, for services that gateways will be doing or whatever. It's used as your license. It's used to cryptographically verify the transaction. It's used as your stake. Uh, and it's such an elegant way to do this. And so when I hear, especially when I hear people talking about like, well, wringing their hands about, it, is the token really going to be needed? Or are they going to decide they don't want to use it for something like they've devised this super elegant system that has this token at the center of it. That, by the way, they talk up all the time. Like, uh, you know, when you see, especially that LCX interview with Gilbert, um, you know, where he talks about it being a pure utility token. Like, we've come up with this system uh, deliberately to ha have this token at the center of it, not just for what we're building now, but also anything we're going to add to the system in the future. The token is going to be your key to access it. And we're clear about that, and we've said it over and over again. So I think it's really worth pointing out, maybe again, especially for newer people who aren't super familiar with what's been said and haven't followed every Gilbert interview that's been out there. Like we maybe have, like it's it's clear, it's been made clear that the token is the heart of the Overledger ecosystem, and the Overledger ecosystem is Quant's business that they've been building diligently and skillfully for some time now. You know, I think that we could probably do this entire Q&A just on the utility of the QNT token. I mean, just on one specific element of the utility of the QNT token. Um, to, I, I really could just for hours and hours and hours. Jarno did say one thing, though, that I, I got pretty excited about because crypto focuses very much on financial services. 
And the conversation around quant is pretty heavily focused on things like CBDCs and other financial services products. But uh, as, he, as he referred to, quant is a universal interoperability solution. And what this means is any network that can benefit from connecting to another network is a potential use case. And those are potential clients and verticals. So there are dozens of different use cases outside of financial services, outside of CBDCs, outside of DLT and crypto as a whole. In fact, I've said this before, crypto and DLT could completely go away and quant network could still be complete, is still a relevant company that has immediate use cases and, and still solves things that are worth trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, John, again, healthcare interoperability is huge. That's actually where Overledger came from. Gilbert designed uh, at least the core of Overledger in 2014 when he was working for Northwest Ambulance as the chief information security officer. He built part of the system to help organize and interoperate healthcare records. And if you don't know, that's actually a really big problem. You can't, like if you go to a hospital and you have your records at one hospital or with one doctor, you can't just send those over easily to another hospital, especially if you go to maybe a different country or you're in a different part of the world. It's extremely difficult to share health information. And that's a big deal because like, let's say that you are traveling and you end up in the hospital and you have some medical emergency. Well, the ability for your healthcare provider to access your records in a timely manner and to be able to connect with your medical history, um, that, that's a matter of life and death in some cases. There, there's also enormous privacy concerns. We talk about the sharing of healthcare records. That's really why they're so siloed right now. So, I mean, that alone is, is a huge use case. We, we look at the, the IoT, the Internet of Things, smart cities. So when we talk about fully interoperable tokenized futures and we think about every device, every wearable, every phone, every computer, every car, every street light, every camera, they're all connected to each other. They're talking to each other. They're sharing information in real time, being processed by AIs and different algorithms. And it's this massive network that continues to grow exponentially as devices add to it. All of that data is also flowing through the Overledger network. So whether we look at like an extension, we, we look at like the, the smart cities infrastructure through something like Constellation, or we look at you know other use cases, the, the network effects are exponential. In fact, actually, Metcast law is something that gets tossed around a lot for crypto valuations. It's like a, a square proportional valuation of the network to its nodes. And that's I think that's one way to look at it. But actually, as I've been learning more about it, um, it's Reed's law that interests me the most. And, and Reed's law, I've got a post on my Twitter about it, but basically, it's like Metcast law as far as network value. You're your network grows proportional to the amount of nodes or proportional to the amount of people on the network. But it also has pockets that grow faster based off of innovation. So an example could be like we see crypto and DLT adoption right now. It's the fastest adopted technology in all of human history. Crypto is being adopted right now faster than the Internet, which was light years ahead of anything else at the time. So we could look at the broader crypto space um, as this exponentially increasing area. But then when we have innovation that comes out, we'll take quant as an example, universal network to network direct interoperability at, at internet scale. I mean, that's basically connecting in crypto the same way you can connect in a normal web browser. Like that's the level of interoperability we're talking about. 
So if you have something like that comes out, what do you think happens to some of the first partners and the first use cases and products that get taken to market? Not, not just crypto, but I mean, even just the established legacy world. Like what happens when a billion dollar organization takes a scalable DLT solution to market first? What happens when some of the first crypto projects are able to release these multi-chain uh, DeFi applications? You know, what happens when you can start to build things that people don't even realize is possible right now? You know, that's, it just, it gets really exciting. So in, in reference to Reed's law, what this means is that we could see near vertical appreciation um, of the QNT token through the associated utility. I mean, it's, it's all, it gets a little bit deductive, but basically if you think about it, greed is one of the biggest issues that humans have. And greed is one of the fundamental contributors toward the lack of trust. So for all of human history, we have not had the ability to trust someone we don't know. And that's largely in part to greed. We want to, we are designed to keep ourselves alive. We are designed to make decisions that benefit ourselves and move ourselves forward. And we can look at this many different ways, but ultimately humans will choose what's right for them over what's right for other people. So we have this fundamental flaw. And to fix that, we've just created a bunch of intermediaries that help us trust each other. And we create complicated different ways of looking at that and, and rules. But now, now that we have this and we have the ability to connect to each other, it it really just stands to change so much. And it's, it's quite incredible to think about the magnitude of what really is occurring right now. Before this entire chat turns into just a, a quampy rant for a couple hours on QNT tokens, I do wanna to stick to the, the content we've prepared so before we transition um, over to our next section, we just covered a few different questions on the utility of the QNT token. And I just want to know if there's any questions in the audience right now about QNT token utility. Go ahead and request to speak if you have any questions. Hey, I have a quick question. Uh, thanks for having this uh, get together. Really cool. Um, I, I'm trying to understand the differences. I mean, I understand how quant is different than, let's say, Polkadot or or Cosmos Atom. And actually, I just recently saw that quant integrated Polkadot into their system. My question is, how does quant differentiate itself from a token perspective and just in general from things like Chainlink? Or, um, or or the new Flare networks. Thanks. Hello, uh, can you all hear me? Hey, um, so my question is, how does the QNT token sign, send, and secure data? All right, so we got two questions here. First question, uh, question on the the QNT um, uh, differentiation uh, differentiation from a tokenomic perspective. It sounds like uh, between something like that and another crypto. And then the second question, more technical question on the specific signing. Uh, who wants to take this one? 
Hey everyone, I think I'll take it. Uh, I'm the least technical guy in here, so I try to uh, make it simple for you guys. Uh, because I've also had this question uh, a lot of times on Instagram. Um, so I think you were asking for the tokenomics, right? Uh, in between uh, Quants and, and other networks like uh, Polkadot and, and, and Link. Um, not 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 really so much the tokenomics, more just yeah. the function functionality. Like what okay, makes Chainlink yeah. different than Quant, and why is Quant better? Per se? Of course. I'll uh, try to answer that. Um, okay, so basically how I always explain it to everyone is that with a network like Polkadot or Cosmos, those networks, first of all, they are blockchains. And uh, Overledger is not a blockchain. So that is the first distinction. Uh, we, we don't work as a blockchain. So we are a blockchain operating system or actually a DLT operating system. So that, that's the first difference. The second one is that Overledger enables all networks, whatever that is, to interconnect. Um, however, with not networks like Polkadot and uh, Cosmos, they offer interoperability, but they only offer it within their own network. So that is the most essential difference, if that makes any sense. This is the, most, the least technical answer you'll get, but that's kind of in a nutshell what the difference is. If anyone wants to uh, add something, uh, I'll kindly invite you. You don't get the uh, same uh, level of overhead as other blockchains, like you mentioned. Um, and then it allows enterprise and government to freely roam their apps or any, anything that they want to do between different type of blockchains without being locked into a single blockchain. That's the biggest advantage. And what the CEO Gilbert mentioned in the past is that governments and companies don't want to be locked into a single blockchain because blockchains evolve, you know, to be locked in something like Ethereum or Chainlink for an extended period of time has disadvantages. So, I mean, that the fact that it's it's not a, its own blockchain, it's an operating system, that itself is one of the biggest advantages of quant interoperability versus other projects. Greg, there's a there was a tweet recently uh, that had a quote from from Martin where he talked about um, it came out like yesterday or today, didn't it? Where he talks about Overledger being sort of a overarching. Um, interoperability solution in reference to its integration with Polygon with the most recent update. Do you have that to hand? I think you're talking about, um, it was on the 2.2.4 release notes for Polkadot. Um, I'd have to, I have to dig it up real quick, but, um, I thought it was the 2.2.5, but might be, I think they just tweeted about it, but it was on the 2.2.4. Uh, let me see. So it says, Martin Hargreaves, Quant's chief product officer, says, with our latest Polkadot release, and basically, guys, this what happened here is this release, um, they're slowly releasing um, con different connectors to different blockchains. So it it's uh, more than likely that there are many blockchains that have been connected already for their enterprise clients, but on the public-facing version of Overledger, through the Overledger network and being able to pay for licenses through MetaMask with your QNT tokens and things like this. They're slowly but surely rolling out 
the connectors that they can rely upon at scale that work with their forward uh, front facing like user software. And so they've just released their Overledger connector for Polkadot, the mainnet, as of today. Um, this is from when they, uh, the two weeks ago, their past update, they release every two weeks. This is the update before when they released for the Polkadot testnet. And the quote here again from Martin Hargreaves, which is Quant's chief product officer, said, with our latest Polkadot release, we are building deeper interconnectivity into Overledger. Our public software as a service already connects to chains like Ethereum, Bitcoin, XRP Ledger, and Polygon. Additionally, we also have connectors to permissioned blockchains like Hyperledger Fabric and Corda. Quant's aim is to create a highly secure enterprise-grade gateway and token issuance platform that works seamlessly with the most commonly used blockchains. Essentially, with the new Polkadot release, we can now connect to blockchains whose purpose is to connect to other blockchains. Effectively, Overledger is a higher level interoperability layer. So I think that's what you're talking about, Quantidian, where, uh, as Tim mentioned, Polkadot provides seamless interoperability within its own walls, right? And so anything that's built through their substrate layer can talk to one another based on the way that the system is, is built. However, when you're trying to bring in other systems, I mean, you can't assume that everything's going to be built in your ecosystem. So while that makes for a very fluid system in itself, it's still going to have issues dealing with the outside world. And so this is where Overledger comes in for basically any network. And this is not only for blockchain networks. More importantly, this is for legacy networks as well, because you're not going to have banks and enterprises just disintegrate their entire tech stack in order to use blockchain. They're going to want a plug and play API like Overledger has built and Quant has built. And Polkadot is maybe they maybe a bank or not a probably not a bank, but maybe, you know, some medium or large business wants to play around in the Polkadot ecosystem. Maybe there's a cool metaverse that popped up in there and they want to you know, they want to integrate that with their existing customers or their existing product. And they can do that using Quant system uh, instead of just having to, uh, you know, start from scratch or, or build like some custom uh, bridge connector that could be, you know, there's a lot of technical, uh, you know, things that need to be done there that provide, you know, uh, connectivity and then may, maybe have security vulnerabilities. Um, Overledger's already done the connecting. And not only will they be able to connect to Polkadot, and then they can connect to everything else that's already a part of the Overledger system. So when Hargreaves says that Overledger is effectively a higher level interoperability layer, it's like, sure, you can have interoperability within your system, but we're going to allow all the systems to interconnect, which is where they get their kind of mini slogan as a network of networks. This is all so good. Um, I, what I want to do is because we have so much stuff to talk about. I want to make sure that we can get through the, the questions that community has submitted. I'm going to kick it over to Dr. Puppers for one more comment on the, the community token utility. Then we're going to move on to a few more topics that the community has requested in advance. And then as we get to the back end of this, we're going to open it up again, both between different sections um, and as well as an open element at the end for a complete discussion on anything else you guys want to talk about. So uh, Puppers, real quick. Um, yeah, we got a, a quick a question about um, how does how technically uh, QNT is used to sign um, to 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 uh, to sign um, transactions on Overledger. Um, 
And this is not something that we have um, much information on, but the process of signing uh, is something that already exists in the Ethereum ecosystem. So um, for whoever asked it, if you just look up like private public key cryptography, like asymmetric cryptography, um, you can sign a transaction or sign a message with your private key, which somebody else can check um, using your public key, so your address that you've actually signed up. Um, so it, it's really not something. It's really not something that is um, uh, not. Uh, it's not. It's not something that is new. It's something that's already been done. You know, Greg mentioned something that I, I want to highlight really quick before I go to the next topic. Um, <clears throat> Overledger is technology agnostic. And what that means is that it doesn't matter what you are connecting to. So um, in, in the world of blockchain right now, if you want to connect to a different blockchain or if you want to connect to, let's say, some legacy infrastructure, it's a very complicated process. There is no um, native way for these types of communication to connect to each other. And because it's not easy to do, that's why we see the landscape the way it is now. We see a lot of insecure bridges. We see um, elements of like interoperability, basically ecosystems, these blockchain islands that are interoperating at, at different levels within their own ecosystem. But we're seeing these different ideas pop up left and right, but not really some universal standard like the internet is today to where we can all participate together. So by being technology agnostic, what that means is Overledger can connect to any blockchain always. It can connect to any network. So let's say that Netflix launches a new product in five years. Well, it doesn't matter if it's on DLT, it doesn't matter if it's on some different type of network, it doesn't matter what it is, it can still be utilized and it can still be connected. And that's a really important thing because in a space that is innovating so quickly, and everyone here knows how fast crypto moves, we see new ideas and new things pop up every day, every week. And there's only more that's being built. So as this space grows and you continue to see more companies and more energy and more people get into this space to build, innovation and competition is only going to increase. And if your product or solution is limited to the underlying platform, you are subject to that limitations. So like, let's say you built your product and you built it on Polkadot. Well, that's great. And you can operate within that ecosystem, but Let's say that a year down the road, um, let's say that Oracle releases a whole suite of like compliance tools that are necessary to really be relevant in the modern business landscape. Or maybe let's say that uh, Coinbase comes out with a new tool that they want to use and you want to be able to use it in your app quickly. Well, you either go through the back-end process and spend exorbitant amounts of money and energy to create something, in some cases experimental, and, and work through the R&D on that. Or you can use solutions in the same way that you look at the internet now. I mean, imagine if we didn't have things like WordPress and, and we didn't have things like Shopify. We didn't have these platforms for people to build their own tools on the internet. Uh, and then even going back further, imagine if we just didn't have a way to connect to each other and share these ideas. And if, if you're a little bit younger, you do have to imagine because you weren't really around for that. But uh, I, I remember... The, the early internet days. I remember dial-up, uh, being able to connect to my web-based games and hearing people on the phone. 
it's all changing very quickly and it's it's pretty exciting to think about where this is all going so if, if you guys have any more questions in the QNT token we will cover more of this um, into the back half of this but I want to make sure that we get through everything that was requested in advance so the the next thing that we received a lot of questions on is QRC 20 and rightfully so um, QRC 20 is the newest product from quant network to be released and it's being released in sections and what we don't have the entirety of information that the community wants, we're gonna go through what we do know, and we're gonna talk about why we might think certain things and move forward from there and see if you guys have any questions. So first and foremost, what is QRC20? Who wants to take this one? Hey, Hungarian, I'll, I'll take over. Um, so I, I can't explain how excited I am about these uh, QRC20, these uh, multi-ledger tokens. Um, I think it uh, really takes so many of the technologies that Quant has developed and put it into one standardized um, uh, one standardized uh, contract um, that basically takes what the current day, like ERC20, like the Ethereum standardized contract of ERC20, that's super common, like the QNT token is ERC20, um, and adds uh, immense functionality. Um, so uh, we're speculating, or I'm speculating a little bit of what these actual functionalities are, but I am basing this on what the quant team have, has pre previously said that they're working on. Um, and so as far as I've understood it, it's a multi-DLT lightning network. So let me break that down. That's, that adds two huge functionalities. So obviously it's multi-DLT, which means that any token would not be limited to only be on Ethereum. It would be able to move outside of Ethereum uh, onto different token, onto different um, uh, layer ones, um, and be fully settled without any double spending um, across different DLTs and potentially even uh, in systems which are not DLTs, so conventional um, legacy um, software systems. That's the first like huge um, uh, upgrade to, to the ERC-20, making it QRC-20. And then I think the second one they've also added is that because it's a lightning network, so it settles, it's basically a roll-up. So it basically settles not all transactions immediately. Um, so instead, it's, it batches transactions and settles that only when it needs to onto the layer ones. And what that means is that you can have huge savings in gas, in gas fees. Um, there has been a number that Gilbert said, which is um, they've managed to bring down gas fees by uh, up to 93%. And I think that applies to these QRC20 uh, contracts too. Um, anybody else want to pitch in? Yeah, I'll add a little bit on that. Um, you know, there's something extra like this is th these QRC20 at the current time, it appears that they are geared specifically towards financial institutions. So what what these institute, you know, this isn't necessarily something that 
um, the everyday developer is going to want to use based on the current limited set of tools that are available. But for a financial institution, it's actually like a pretty nice suite of tools, which includes things like, um, you know, creating and minting your token, setting restrictive access to who can move, who can request, who can send, who can receive, um, setting up all types of payment functionalities uh, for, for instance, like, you know, these banks, they are go the future of banks and stable coins is a big deal. And uh, this kind of, I guess, goes into the kind of the CBDC conversation, but um, in the future and the not too distant future, you're going to have things like the JP Morgan dollar or the Bank of America dollar or the Wells Fargo dollar or whatever it may be, which is all backed by money that they have in escrow in a traditional financial institution. And then they mint these multi-ledger tokens on Overledger. And these tokens will represent the dollar. They'll be backed by the dollar and they'll probably have some reward system that will be tied to the bank's brand, right? So you come use our token because we give you this and our token that gives you this. And, and all different companies are going to end up being tokenized in some fashion, but we're going to see this in finance very quickly through stable coins. And this QRC20 technology is basically, it allows you to deploy a token that has specific financial functionalities in terms of what I mentioned with uh, being able to set up permissions around sending and receiving and creating like programmable money. Um, and so this is powerful because uh, the banks are going to want to use this. And so I think QRC20 can probably expand over time. For now, they're geared directly towards financial institutions. Um, and it's an extension of the multi-ledger token technology, again, which is that a single token that's minted on this network can actually settle across multiple networks because what Overledger has done is essentially create a single layer two, or as Dr. Puppers put it, a multi-DLT lightning network, of course, alluding to Bitcoin's lightning network, which is the layer two that allows for faster payments and for uh, you know off-chain settlements. Um, and this is across not just Bitcoin, but all DLT and legacy technology. And so um, when you add not only just that, that technology that allows you to create that interoperable token, but then you have specific tools that you can access through you know, an easy to use interface on your computer and just mint your token, deploy it here, deploy it there, keep track of it, set permissions. It's very valuable and it's very interesting to watch. It will be interesting to watch kind of how the QRC20 deployment unrolls. You guys answered pretty much every question we'd initially received from the community. The only thing that we didn't cover in there was how does this then translate into demand for the QNT token? And I think we've already kind of covered this. So there's not really much to answer here. The QNT token is at the heart of all of Quant Network's suite of products. So to operate uh, through QRC20, whether you're using an application that is put out by a partner or whether you're working with the, the tech directly, it does require QNT for every transaction, for every interaction, uh, and that's also your primary incentive in the network too. In fact, I, I, was, I was talking about this on, on kind of a little bit unrelated topic, but I do think in the fairly short term, as we roll out to a more public-facing environment, that we'll start to see secondary markets of incentives develop uh, because the QNT token has 
so much demand. I mean, we, we've covered quite extensively at this point why there's so many reasons uh, the QNT token will be used. When you think about this now, we, we fast forward a year, two years, three years, when we're in an environment that, <laughs> one, demands a higher level of regulatory, regulatory compliance, uh, but also in an environment that's more competitive, the, the solutions that are coming out um, all will interact with QNT in one way or another. So the, the demand for the token, honestly, isn't really a concern. I know that because we don't have the specific answers and the specific clarity a lot of people want at this time, it does require some deduction, it requires a little bit of trust and faith in the team. But also I, I would say that recognize the caliber of people that we're talking about here. You know, this isn't just a, a random group of you know, college dropouts that put together some crypto project. What we're talking about here is some of the most credible and established professionals you can possibly put together in, in the government, banking, and uh, regulatory environment. I mean, these people are coming from decades of C-level cybersecurity and high-level positions of influence. The people that put together the core, the, the white paper for Quant. I mean, pa Paolo Tasca it was one of the co-founders of Quant, and he is world-renowned for his insight into blockchain economics. In fact, he, he, provi he provides input on research papers and, and books on blockchain token economics. So do we objectively think that people that are have most that have PhDs that have been in the space since basically inception that are at the cutting edge of the academic applications and enterprise and government applications of this. Do we think that those people would have the oversight to miss on such simple and fundamental concepts like the network stability? If the token isn't attractive to gateway operas, if the token isn't a stable investment vehicle for value, then gateway operators are not incentivized and the network is fundamentally insecure. It's it's a very simple principle. Um, and when you look at the, the quant team, it's really hard to truly believe that they would have any type of oversight in something that is relatively so simple. So before we move on, I know that QRC20 is something that soon we have a lot of questions. So I want to over, um, I want to cover one more topic, and then we're going to open it up to questions on QRC20 and this next section because they're kind of related. And uh, what I want to cover real quick is LAC chain or, or LAC chain, depending on how you want to pronounce it. LAC chain is a infrastructure program for the entire, basically the entire continent of South America. We have uh, at this point, I think, 12 countries that are involved in this project. And it's the complete digitization of the entire national critical infrastructure. So everything from their financial services and their banking to their identity to, I mean, I think even voting, um, emergency, like all, all your social programs that allocate resources to people in different ways. I mean, it's, it's a complete digital overhaul into a tokenized DLT-based um, system. And Quant is providing interoperability for this. This is something that has been documented on both ends. We, we have confirmation on all of this and quite a bit of insight as to where the project is at and, and what we could expect in the short term. But uh, who would like to cover some stuff on LAC chain? 
I know Puppers was talking about it earlier. Uh, yeah, I can jump in. Um, so um, I think maybe some background would be nice. Um, so first uh, of all, the, the black chain. So that's Latin American and Caribbean chain um, is uh, it's like an infrastructure project that is um, actually being rolled out by the Inter-American Development Bank which is this huge institution um, that is headquartered in Washington, DC. And what they're doing uh, is taking basically Latin America, uh, which doesn't have the same level of infrastructure that we have in the West and is trying to get them to jump ahead into um, even more evolved blockchain-based infrastructure for their both their public uh, services and for their private uh, commerce. This includes, for example, the uh, uh, Latin, Latin American dollar, uh, which Gilbert has uh, spoken about. So they want to make a stablecoin for these countries denominated in dollar for them to trade among themselves, uh, to be a retail CBDC in dollar, and uh, to trade back to America. Um, so it's this huge infrastructure project that, that they're rolling out. And um, I don't know if anybody here was, was watching the uh, Financial Times uh, conference a few days ago, uh, but um, there was some coverage on uh, Latchain and with an estimate that it's going to be live in, uh, I think it was 2023, which is not that far away. And we know that Lightchain is uh, to a very high degree based on the technologies uh, that Quant Network supplies. There is uh, a uh, public partnership between uh, Quant Network and Lightchain. Um, so we, I, th I think it's going to be really exciting to see national level, international level uh, utility start flowing through um, Overledger and Overledger Network starting hopefully next time next year. Um, I think that's gonna be huge. Yeah, um, blockchain is very, very interesting to me. Um, if we kind of like think about the future and we think about like, let's jump ahead a little bit and it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to see the, the exact steps that you're going to take. Right. So if I'm, if I hop in my car, right. And I want to go to uh, my friend's house, which is an hour away. I know that that's the destination, but I don't really know how to get there exactly, but I just follow the GPS and I, you know, I get there eventually turn by turn. And right now we're just kind of like taking some turns and we don't really know like necessarily what's 10 miles ahead or 20 miles ahead. But if you just think about the destination, think about if blockchain really does become an infrastructural uh, foundation, the same way that the internet has, right? And what that could look like on a national or regional international scale. And blockchain is really the first regional or multinational instance of distributed ledger networks at play. And so it's a DLN is what they call it, which is distributed, distributed ledger network. And it's a public permissioned network. 
So what that means is you have like your public networks, your, your public permissionless networks, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're public, permissionless. Anyone can use them. There's no identity involved. Like as long as you have an internet connection, you can get on and, and access those networks. And you also have private permissioned networks like Hyperledger and Corda, which are, you know, you need to go through the company and you need to get certain permissions from them and everything is privatized. And then you have something like Lackchain, which is the first example of a public permissioned network. So it seems like a bit of an oxymoron, but what it basically means is it's public in the sense that anybody can use it. Um, there's no artificial barriers from preventing you from using it. So think of it like public education or public health or public roads. Like there's no reason that anyone can't use those. All you have to do is sign up. So the permission to part is that you actually do have to provide some identification in order to use those, right? So to drive on the roads, you need a license. To get into the public school, you need to sign up, you know, and give your, your address and your name and whatever. So it's public in that anyone can use it, but it's permission in that you just need to show ID. And once you do that, you can use it. So this is across multiple Latin American nations, double digit nations. That are, this, this network that they've launched now called LACnet, LACnet, is going to provide infrastructure for things like digital identity, for things like the Latin American dollar, for things that help small businesses get up and running and be able to trade data, for healthcare payments, for welfare payments, for retail payments, basically anything you can think of that blockchain could be applied to on a public grade sense, like a, you know, an institutional level, a governance level. Uh, and I want to read you just really quickly um, some insight that we got from an individual who works at Cambridge uh, as the digital assets lead. And he put out a, a little tweet storm about where Lackchain is in their progress and basically just kind of the way that the network is structured. And he said that he's never really been, or it's been a long time since he's been as excited about a permissioned blockchain system. And I'm just going to read you a couple of his tweets to kind of orchestrate or illustrate, I should say, um, how the network is being developed or how the network functions. So he says governance is decentralized, meaning that all members have a say, but it's facilitated by a legal entity that orchestrates memberships, like contractual agreements and things of that nature. So um, everybody has a vote on the direction of the network, as long as there's like some legal structure in place. Um, members, anyone that uh, creates a node on the network, they run their own nodes. So currently there's 120 different nodes across 80 plus institutions, and they receive technical assistance from the Lackchain initiative. And they're also encouraged to run their own writer nodes, which is basically just going to be a node that has more access and more um, ability to help the network function. And there is a clever validator rotation mechanism to ensure that maximum resilience and decentralization takes place. So it's not just like, here's our set of validators that validate the transaction. There's like a rotational system based on an algorithm um, and you know replacing underperforming nodes and things of that nature. There's no transaction fees on the network. Gas, uh, dynamic gas allocation is based on membership type and network load to optimize capacity. Uh, and then there's end user privacy from a network perspective by introducing something called second signature step, uh, which I'm not overly technical, but it appears there's an extra step involved to that like kind of overlays your 
um, you know, your details in terms, it's probably a, I would imagine a um, kind of a simplistic form of self-sovereign identity. And there's over 50 projects up and running on the network already um, that are in advanced pilot stage. So again, as Puppers mentioned, this network is set to go live in 2023. And if you think about news like, oh, El Salvador is making legal tender and people are using Bitcoin to like, you know, to spend Bitcoin. It's like, that's cool. That is cool. And that's a big step. Um, It's one country and it's one use case. And this is something that like dwarfs that by quite a bit. Um, There's double digit countries. There's double digit use cases. It's being employed across this entire infrastructure and all of the different systems that run on it is all being interoperated through Quant's Overledger. And this is public information. So um, this is an extremely exciting project and uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah, just to, just to piggyback on that a little bit because it is super exciting. Like um, in that, uh, in the Financial Times where, where Gilbert was talking about that, I, I believe he made it a uh, reference to it in relation to something about discussion around retail CBDCs. And so the LA dollar, Latin American dollar, existing within this LEC chain framework uh, is going to be a retail CBC, CDB, CBDC, which we've seen some trial projects for retail CBDCs coming out of places like the Bahamas. I know China has theirs. Um, and there's one in, in Africa, I can't recall uh, which country, that you know they've been testing the waters on these things. But uh, a retail CBDC, so close on the horizon, existing within a DLN framework, this is going to be such a huge proof of concept that uh, it's, it's really, really exciting and probably flying under the radar to like a pretty huge degree. So it's definitely worth uh, you know, following very closely. But that ties into something else I wanted to say, which I think connects into almost everything else we've said, but hasn't actually been stated explicitly yet, which is one of the strengths of, of Quant and what they're building is this whole uh, standards and regulation aspect. And that touches into the tokenomics. It touches into the token utility. It touches into the utility of the project as a whole. As a whole, touches into uh, questions about why is, why is Overledger a better solution than some of these other things that look like they're doing something very similar interoperating different blockchains. And the answer is that, you know, Overledger is not only going to be a turnkey solution for interoperating all of these networks, including legacy networks and data networks and DLNs and all of these other things. It's going to be a turnkey solution for regulatory compliance and standards compliance, ISO standards compliance as well with the work that Gilbert has done with TC307 and the work that will subsequently come out of that. And of course, the work being done around ODAP, which we haven't even touched on here, um, and and the IATF work around that, like that's such a huge aspect to uh, not only the proposition of Overledger succeeding as as uh, uh, an entity, but the value proposition of QNT as a token as well, because it's so interconnected with that, and just hasn't been stated explicitly. So I wanted to say, like, that's a big deal when you're talking about. Why quant? Why does it matter? You know, why isn't Chainlink or Polygon or one of these other things just good enough to do the work um, for the use cases quant is looking at, especially right now? So huge. You know, it's amazing. We we really could spend any number of hours on just one of these topics because there's so many ways they branch off, so many different um, prerequisites really that are required to to make sure that you understand the differences because. <clears throat> 
as you've seen, you know, we've taken 20, 30 minutes or so just to explain some of the distinctions between quant and other um, solutions that have similar terms. Like how does quant differentiate from a, a blockchain interoperability solution or an Oracle network solution or, or whatever. Um, the fact that it takes so much foundational information to understand some of these key distinctions is part of what makes quant so difficult to understand. It's part of, I believe, why quant is still so under the radar. I mean, quant has what, you know, 47,000 holders, which is absolutely minuscule in comparison to the use case and the total addressable market that they're looking at. I mean, for, for context, the total addressable market and use case for quant is the entire, all of the world's networks. It's, it's not even just the internet, it's all of the world's networks. Um, let, let that sink in for a second. And, and this isn't to speak with superlatives or to try to exaggerate and say, oh, you know, Shill, this is my token, buy my bag. Like, dude, not, not at all. Like QNT, Quant, is, is a, it's an organization that is going to, that is actively changing the landscape of the world. What Quant is producing, and of course, there, there's going to be other major players. You know, some are, some are out there now, some are still in development. Like, it's not the only name that's going to be successful. But why we're uniquely excited about Quant is one, it's a tradable solution available now. So we as retail, we can invest in it, we can own these tokens. Uh, and two, it's something that is relatively documented at the scope of what, what's actually happening. I mean, when you, you look at even just Lackchain as an example, this is one project from one partner that is larger than virtually every single application of cryptocurrency and DLT in current state. Um, depending on how you want to look at it, like the, the idea of having the entire infrastructure of multiple countries running on blockchains and running through DLN uh, or through a DLN is something that isn't even really, it's barely being discussed right now. You know, we've seen a lot of other countries, papers coming out, talking about these ideas and looking at the possibilities, analyzing the different tech solutions, what they could and couldn't do. But with Lackchain, I mean, this is a production ready solution. It's we're seeing a commercial rollout to end users in sub 12 months, basically, um, which is absolutely insane. It's, it's truly incredible. Now uh, to, to be respectful for everyone's time, I want to circle back and give everyone a chance to ask questions. We've just covered QRC 20. And we've covered blockchain. So opening to the audience now, what questions do you guys have on these? Sorry for, uh, for interrupting. I want to add a little bit onto your last, uh, on the last thing you said, and that's regarding um, how Gil is actually operating. And I, uh, uh, Boss is also in the chat. He spoke with us about this in a couple of quant shows back. And Gil is technically using cheat codes because what he's actually doing, he's approaching everything from the top down. He's creating the standards with the lawmakers and with the policymakers and with the thought leaders. He's creating the standards. He's creating the rules. <clears throat> he's setting up the entire playing field. And whenever there, uh, whenever he sees an opportunity, say, see ya. 
then he dives onto it and he tries to onboard them. So he onboards entire ecosystems. So in this case, SIA is now obviously with Nexi and all their other mergers, one of the, it is the biggest payment infrastructure in Europe. He banked that technically within a year because it takes about a year to onboard an ecosystem like that. He did the same with Lackchain. Why go to each country individually? Let's just create an entire infrastructure for an entire continent. Let's just do it that way. And, 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 and that's how he just keeps on rolling. And that's how he's probably going to roll with all the other things and all the other solutions that he's going to implement. Thinking about EPSI, um, there have been rumors about BSN. All those big-ass projects, continents, wide projects, they're all going to adhere to the standards. They are all going to use the Overledger solution. And then, another example, Oracle. They got Oracle certified. They could have tried and, and, and get all those companies one by one. And then you have to go through the process of winning their confidence, winning their trust, and implementing all that stuff. He didn't do that. He went to Oracle. Oracle went, uh, came to them. They got certified. And now they have access to 430,000, excuse me, something customers. And they can all trust Oracle because they trusted Oracle before because they chose for them. Same with SIA, same with Lackchain. Um, so if, if, if that doesn't make you bullish for the future, I don't know what does. Wanted to add to that. Thank you. I have a quote here from Gilbert. It's one of my favorite quotes. I think I've probably forwarded into quant groups or posted it on Twitter a couple dozen times at this point because it's just truly mind-blowing. Uh, this quote comes from when SIA was uh, the, the active partner. SIA at the time was one of the world's largest fintech companies, uh, dwarfed by only a few names, one of which Swift. In the time since this tweet that I'm about to read, or in the time since this message, SIA has merged with Nexi and Nets, two large national uh, fintech organizations. And now the organization they represent collectively, Nexi Group, is Europe's largest fintech. It is bigger than SWIFT. So this organization that is actively and has been actively using Quant through all of their products, who's releasing an entire suite of overledger-powered products. Like that's, it's all in their public reporting if you look through it. Um, <laughs> this is the quote from Gilbert. Well, not many people understand the scale of SIA. It's one of the world's largest financial infrastructures that connects central banks, commercial banks, financial institutions, and governments. If you think of any bank globally, they are already connected to CNET. They all have access to SIA chain and now to Overledger. And here, it would have taken us 20 plus years just to meet half of those clients. We've gained access to all of them. And this isn't an exaggeration. These ways of connecting, these ways of establishing relationships and partners from the creation for the world standard for blockchain. By the way, ISO TC307, that is the global standard for blockchain. ISO 20022, that is a messaging data standard. It is not the same, and they work together. They think of it like a Venn diagram. Um, the other, you know, Oracle, again, 430,000 clients, not 430,000 individuals, 
430,000 organizations that have access that are already using Oracle. I mean, when you look at how these companies work, it's, it's not, they have established their products and they've established their stack and their backend. And it largely operates through the same infrastructure, the same service providers. So anyone who's already been using Oracle through Oracle cloud or Oracle fusion or whatever enterprise public product they're using, all of the updates and microservices that come through Overledger network that come through Oracle blockchain platform, it is, it increases exponentially, you know, think, think Metcalf's law, it's, it's just a network. Uh, it increases exponentially with every partner on the network. So now just an Oracle through this, this overarching connection of working through the top line organizations, 430,000 businesses that continue to innovate across every industry in the world, the products and solutions that trickle down through that are powered through Overledger. And whether it takes one step, two, three, to, to get to retail and users to be a little bit more tangible from the utility, to be a bit more obvious on the use cases, it doesn't really matter because the steps that are happening right now, they've been in progress for so long and they take so long to happen that Quant has all but secured, like worst case scenario, being a dominant player in the Web3. Like worst case scenario is, is Quant is one of the largest players in, in the Web3. Um, it's, it's, it's truly, Web3 and beyond, it's, it's truly incredible. Um, so before we, we jump to the next section, I just wanted to make sure we get a chance to ask any questions for the audience. For QRC20 and for Lackchain, did we have any questions? Hi, uh, yes, I have a couple questions, not specifically about Lackchain or the QRC20, but it does involve them. When Gilbert uh, had his vision for the Quant Network about 10 years ago, you know, he stepped into the role understanding the landscape, the tech, and the people uh, in the financial services industry. And, you know, he thought about the uh, creating a translator, basically, for... Uh, DLT languages, and uh, you know, then he thought about, okay, I want to onboard as many people at once as possible because I only have a certain amount of time, and so he went with the Oracle, Amazon, etc., and then you know worked on uh, government entities like Lackchain or like the uh, central banks. Where do you think Gilbert is has his focus now? You know, what do you think their conversations within the company sound like? Um, obviously, this space is really great for people like us in the retail section. But uh, within the company itself, where do you think that they're really putting their energy? That's a good question. Um, and this is obviously complete speculation. Nobody here has any insight into like the roadmap of the company. And just to put that out there, but. I think what's really interesting is like, and I could talk a lot about, you know, how we're talking about getting these networks first and then allowing things to kind of organically flow and organically build that Quant has positioned itself at the in, quite literally and figuratively the infrastructural layer um, when it comes to the way that they're exposed to all these different sectors and all these different ecosystems. Um, so, I think they're going to continue to try and onboard large ecosystems. 
um, as they've done. I think where they're turning now is to the, the educational side of things. So we've seen them launch a course with King's College London around helping standard developers, just regular engineers that have nothing to do with blockchain uh, that are coding you know, for Google and for whoever else that just, they build programs. Um, take those same languages and come and build blockchain platforms and not just blockchain applications, but multi-blockchain, multi multi-DLT applications using Overledger that allows developers to code in 12 plus standard languages um, like your C, like your Java, like your Rust and Ruby and all these things. Um, you can build multi-blockchain applications on Overledger with those standardized languages. So they've launched this course that people can sign up to for free um, there is a paid version that you can get like then a certification and things of that nature, but you can take the course for free. Um, so you can Google that. It's on a platform called futurelearn.com and it's through King's College London and Quant Network. And, um, to, to, and then you've also seen over the past um, few weeks, they have started to release some educational content on their website with regards to um, blockchain terminology and things of that nature to just help I mean, I think what they're really focused on is bringing the traditional financial world into DLT, right? And they're doing that through their technology, which is now standardized and certified and fully regulatory compliant. It's been integrated into tons of large ecosystems with many players underneath each ecosystem. And now they're saying, okay, the technology is pretty much in place, Um of course, there's always going to be growth and they're going to be building more connectors and, and advancing that. And they have their team, I'm sure, working diligently on putting out these updates, which, to be honest, they've been very consistent on, especially since the turn of the new year in terms of every 14 days, bam, 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 we're getting these updates to the technology. But then also it's like, OK, how do we expand? And it's OK, we need to tell the 27 million developers that are out there that they can build blockchain applications because currently there's only about 250,000 blockchain developers and there's 27 million developers. So how do we get the other 90% quick math? I think that's right. Um, to be able to build blockchain on blockchain, they can do it here. They can do it through us. And there's no questions. There's no, like, you know, there's a lot of people that are skeptical of this space because they don't really know how things are going to unfold from a regulation standpoint. And we keep coming back to that, but these standards and these regulations are so key and we haven't even touched on ODAP today, which I think we should at some point, but it's just another way that Gilbert has basically gone ahead and, uh, you know, you skate to where the puck is going, not where the puck is. Right. And so we are already positioned um, and that's why it's, it's kind of like people want to rush and people are like, well, if it's being used and if it has all these big partnerships, then like, why isn't the token going up and where's the utility of the token? Like, it's like, no, 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 we've laid the groundwork. It's like when you finally realize that you have to go to that building and not that building, like we're the right building and you go in and it's like, oh, look what's in here. This is amazing. And it's like, it's already built. Um, and of course, by that point, the token will be worth a lot more um, because there's, you know, there will be less risk at that time. There's perceived risk at this time. But the deeper you dive, you realize, OK, we're actually like incredibly fundamentally well positioned. So um, long answer, but I think that they're, they're turning their 
their eyes to independent developers and to people in terms of educating them on how they can build on blockchain using Overledger. Thank you. That was great. Perfect. Thank you, Greg. Hey, uh, Matt, welcome. Did you have a question? Yeah, I had a question. Uh, thanks for uh, letting me ask here. But um, when it comes to, uh, obviously, Quantizen, uh, they, they work a lot with regulators. They're, they're into compliance. And one of their main goals, is obviously, to have KYC across uh, all wallets. They're, they're just in line with that narrative. So uh, I guess in the future, as DeFi kind of expands and there's more TVL, more value locked across DeFi, will Quant kind of be in a position to allow for that value to, to transact on Overledger or will using Overledger kind of necessitate some sort of KYC on there and DeFi won't be able to participate. So it's more just wondering, can we consider DeFi's volume as part of the total addressable market that Quant can achieve? Or if they're taking a purely KYC stance where you need to know every transaction that goes through who the wallets belong to and all that, do we just not include DeFi's total addressable market as something that Quant can capture? That's a really good question. And it's, I think it's important to first identify what, what is DeFi and what does that look like? Because right now, DeFi as it currently stands is probably very different than it will look like in the coming years. Um, we, we know that there's going to be a lot of regulatory clarity coming in, not just for the U.S., but for you know, the global landscape on what crypto is and what you can and can't do. So DeFi as it currently stands is a very powerful tool. And we look at ideas of private entities being able to issue stable coins and being able to program the creation of value in certain ways. Uh, that, that has some implications that potentially could create a lot of friction with the existing financial world. And it's, you know, you can look at things from like an idealistic perspective. There's a lot of different opinions in crypto. I, I'm really not here to argue on the right opinions. I just think that if we look at it, um, I don't see the balance of all the world's money and power shifting dramatically. I don't see like crypto becoming this open utopian free world where, you know, there's no law and order and everyone can do whatever they want. Like, like some of the ideas are out there in more of the open concepts of, of crypto. But to speak more to your question, I, I look at like, how will the evolution of permissionless and permissioned ecosystems evolve? How will that value transact within the ecosystem and then within each other ecosystem? So the way that I look at that is how will value interact from the permissionless world, like that open, um, decentralized, in, you know, anonymous kind of think of it like kind of like the dark web is right now. Um, and then how will that interact with more permission realms, whether that's a fully permissioned environment um, or it's a public permission environment, something like we're seeing with the creation of Lackchain and with some other instances of, of Overledger. Um, it's, well, I'm, we're all speculating. So we, of course, don't know the answers, but the gateway operators for Quant do have to KYC. Um, that's what provides a lot of the security. So gateway operators would be KYC'd in all environments but so i understand the way i understand it it would be up to the products and services and applications being built on the network to create different types of environments so like let's say you could have a company that comes out that has a higher level of maybe compliance they're trying to adhere to or maybe you, they operate in a different jurisdiction um 
I think that we'll see a lot of variability, but I also think that we all, we'll see the creation of an entirely new financial services space. So DeFi right now, like the value, whether or not Overledger becomes integrated into DeFi as it stands right now, there'll definitely be overlap of value as value from like that open permissionless world enters into the, you know, regulatory existing world. So um, e even if that doesn't transfer, like overledgers being used in just strictly crypto peer-to-peer -peer projects, you, you still have the, the enormous amount of network effects that happen as the world gets into um, world, as the world gets into this new financial technology. So if we look at like existing financial institutions, like let's say JP Morgan, well, JP Morgan is going to eventually develop, and they, they probably already have, financial solutions that mirror a lot of things you can do in DeFi right now. And I think that we're going to see the creation of what, what do we want to call it, the C DeFi space, centralized DeFi space, um, the public permission world, like however you want to look at it, there's this middle of the Venn diagram where everything meets up and you have um, quant overledger gateways that can host different services and products. And then those products can interact in different ways. But when value wants to go from like this bubble of public permissions into a permissionless environment, those like on and off ramps, and this, this isn't through quant, by the way, this is like just how it, it's, we see it developing. Uh, those on and off ramps would be those points that could potentially either limit how value moves or those could be the, the kyc points so no in, in short it's not necessarily quant that is trying to do all of this it's more of they're just creating a solution that's a part of how the world is evolving and whether or not value like let we look at the the tbl for for DeFi right now it's, it's a lot of money but in comparison to existing financial services it's, it's quite minimal I mean, what happens when JP Morgan offers um, like lending protocols to their clients and they have trillions of dollars of wealth under management? They start advising their clients to engage in these services that are you know, obviously powered by Overledger and other things. The amount of value that can move across that ecosystem and that will be generated is orders of magnitude ahead of anything that's occurring in DeFi right now. So I know it's not like a perfect answer to your question, because frankly, I don't know the answer. I'm not a, a regulatory expert. I'm, I'm not on the board of anything creating these rules and regulations. But when, when we look at just more objective and abstract concepts, it seems rather almost inevitable that massive ecosystems of value will develop just from the existing value, if that makes sense. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that was a, a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. I had uh, one one small follow up question, and then uh, it was more about the the privacy uh, privacy chains and their interconnectivity with QRC twenty. Um, since Quant again working with a lot of regulatory bodies, kind of a top down approach where they want to know, uh, but whoever they're working with wants to know who's interacting. Will there be a world where where privacy networks will have a chance? to actually participate in QRC20, or will they remain kind of on the sidelines as, as cash alternatives as we move away from, from cash? You know, I think a lot of times the idea of quant and uh, CBDCs gets maybe taken out of context. There's a lot of 
ideas floating around for CBDCs and for what the future of the internet and privacy looks like. Um, I don't think it is as aggressive and as dystopian as a lot of people maybe are concerned about it. You might see like technology is, is a fairly neutral variable. Uh, it's humans that are the ones that influence it. So like you could have a technology that's capable of doing all types of things, but it's up to how we use it to create the impacts. So like you could see a country, um, you know, maybe in a, a different part of the world that could use this type of te this technology to create more of a, a command network or a system of control. Like, you know, sure, you, you have just orders of magnitude better of efficiency. You have the ability just to be, to do so many things. So yeah, you could, but is that necessarily like the future? Do we see that happening um, at least in, in Western you know, countries and, and, and how that plays out. I personally don't think so. Uh, I think that when you look at the recent communication that's come from quant, the recent communication that's happening in the global landscape around CBDCs, around privacy, it's something that's discussed quite a bit. And they, they want to make environments, like when you look at the, these CBDC reports and you see like banks talking about the technology, they want to make it is private as possible. They want to still give people as much control as possible. And ideally, especially like when we see like with like blockchain, give people empowerment. I mean, can you imagine like an effective system of government that has effective social programs with transparency and auditability and accountability? Like that's, <laughs> that's crazy. So the, I don't think it's going to be as dystopian as people think it's going to be. So I, I don't, really see that being too much of a concern great thank you lambos or food stamps i know you've been uh, asking a question or you've been wanting to ask a question for a while what you got man yeah i have a question about the uh qnt token itself uh, and this regards to the network i know it's needed for the network to function but what's stopping um it the possibility of it just needing one QNT to run the whole network. Like, why do we need multiple QNT tokens? I've been waiting for this question. Um, it's it's actually because I, I understand where you're coming from. It's you're not asking this maliciously. You're like genuinely trying to understand like the the variables and inputs for the network. You know, because you could have um, you have 18 decimals in this ERC20 token, and when you when you break it down. You could, um, if you just wanted to use the smallest possible units, you could try to use less of the, the total amount of tokens. So to that, I would say, first and foremost, why would you design a system that does that? If we go back to um, what we were talking about earlier with the purpose of the QNT token, the QNT token is designed to be an attractive thing. If, if the QNT token was not something that a gateway operator felt confident putting enormous amounts of money and energy into, then the network is going to lack security. So if, if fundamentally it was designed in a way to where there were these huge loopholes um, that allowed the, the network just to collapse in value, that would fundamentally compromise the security. So that, that that's the first thing I would look at is like, do you think that that type of oversight is something that we're going to see from people of this caliber. Uh, but but when you look at it, 
one thing that I think about is the inertia of, of the utility. So when we, we look at how quant utility works, the treasury automates the conversion of fiat into QNT tokens. So as the network is used, whether this is QRC20, MLT, overledger network, like whatever iteration of quant technology, it all uses quant, all uses QNT tokens. So as we see these partners roll out use cases and, and for Oracle, I mean, that's, that's like Oracle rolling out tools that then other businesses then use that create increasing network effects from there. Like this doesn't go straight to consumer. Um, as these can, things continue to roll out, it means that there'll be more usage of the network. In fact, actually, I think it might still be pinned um, from, from Greg. Raul Paul did a really cool analysis of network effects. And he overlaid the price of some of the most popular tokens. I think it was Bitcoin, Ethereum, and I think XRP. And he overlaid those relative to measurements of their network effects. So measurements of like the users on their network. And it was uncanny how they aligned. In fact, uh, if you haven't seen this, it looks like it is still pinned. So you should check out the thread that's pinned um, right here. It is truly incredible. The accuracy that you see these things mimic each other at. So whether you want to use a valuation model like uh, Metcalf's law or Reed's law or, or whatever idea, it doesn't really matter too much because the, the concept is that as the network grows in usage, it grows in value. So how does that translate to QNT tokens? Or, or rather, more specifically, how does that translate to the amount of QNT tokens being used? So I mentioned inertia. If we think about how the network is being used, as, it, as it's being utilized conversions of fiat are driven into QNT tokens and we see the accumulation and usage of QNT tokens, which drives scarcity, which ultimately is going to have a positive impact on price. To get to a point where you're seeing license fees and transactions and, and, and developer, developers paying their, you know, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in license fees, millions of dollars in license fees, to have a couple hundred thousand dollars convert to 0.01 QNT, the QNT token would have to be at such a low, or it would have to be at such a crazy value um, that that's just not something that it could immediately jump to. So the network effects, like this continued increasing scarcity dictates that there will always be more scarcity, always be more demand for the QNT. And because you have like this flywheel that's just spinning faster and faster and faster, it's not going to change or just stop out of nowhere and create an environment where you start seeing these conversions drop 99 plus percent. It's just, it's not, it's not really possible. And again, we, we share this with obviously our minimal public insight into the project, but a lot of this stuff is logic and deduction. Like we know some things and we know that these are extremely capable people. In, in some cases, they're thought leaders in their industries. These are not the kind of people that make obvious mistakes. And personally, I don't think that any of us, unless you guys are really just truly technical experts, I'm, I'm certainly not. But I don't think that really much of us would be able to find anything that they haven't already thought through, let alone find something that is actually a problem and, and be able to, to work through it enough and just in understanding it. So... I know it's not like a lot of this. It's not just a cut and dry, clear answer because we don't have a lot of that yet. But I hope that this is providing some clarity and I hope that our perspectives 
help you guys understand some of these questions. The, the purpose, and like, if you, if you notice the topics we've chosen, they're not like the craziest quant topics. We're not talking about the most exciting FA. Like we haven't even talked about ODAP yet. We're answering the questions you guys had. And frankly, a lot of the questions were fairly critical, which is okay. And I, I wanted to make sure that this platform today was something that allowed us to be honest and allowed us to talk about what we know and what we don't know and, and collectively move forward from there. So uh, in, in short, while these might not be the direct answers and, and the most exciting content you guys have ever heard about quant, it is what you guys have requested from us. And I, I wanted to be true to you and to be sure that we actually got a chance to talk about what was important to the community. So uh, looking, looking at the time, I wanna make sure that we get through as much as possible here. Uh, we do have a couple people on the call that have some hard stops coming up here shortly, but I have a few more questions I wanted to go through. So it's time, let's just, let's just say it. Dashboard gateways, when, when, well, your answer is, is soon. Your answer is when it's time. But my answer, because we, we don't know, obviously, I think I would ask why. Why do you want gateways? Why do you want a dashboard? Do you want gateways in a dashboard because it's the critical logical progression for the network? Or do you want it for your own insight because A, we want confirmation on our ideas and our investments to ensure that we are making the right decision. We want the ability to speculate and be able to drive price. We want, of course, the ability to engage with the network and use it uh, but ultimately, that's also for personal gain. I think we, we obviously, we want staking from that, the ability for passive income from our QNT tokens. We want these things. But when you look at what all of that means, we want those things because it's what benefits us, whether it's our perspective or our own personal interests. It's, it's from that. But if we look at the team, Quant's objective is to grow the organization. It is to develop new products and to have those products roll out to as many clients and as many use cases as possible. And from what we've seen, I think they're pretty effective. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't, I don't know the first thing about being able to do anything at, at the level that Quant is doing. And you think about the connections and the interactions, whether it's first or second degree uh, connections, the caliber that Quant is involved at is, is just something that isn't seen elsewhere in crypto. So, Again, going back to the trust, like do you trust the team to develop and execute on their vision and their strategy? Yeah, <laughs> I, I do. And if you don't, I hope that this call and, and future discussions help you understand the, the broader picture, but it's, it's okay to be critical. It's okay to ask these questions and it's okay to seek to understand. So for, first and foremost, I wanna address that. But looking at this from a different perspective. Again, why do we want gateways? Why do we want the dashboard? Not just when, but why. I think that there is a fundamental disconnect between the technical progress and internal strategy for what is best for quant network and then our own personal gain and our own personal interests. And if we can just acknowledge that, I think that's the first step to having the right type of discussion on these timelines. So, Again, yeah, it's, it's not the answer you want. It's like, oh, in 14 days, Gilbert's going to have um, an avocado omelet. And then after that, he's going to jump on a call and he's going to tell us all about the, the newest uh, Overledger product that's coming out. Like it's, it's, it's just, that's not, 
the kind of company we're involved with. I, I think the best way to look at this, like Gilbert has said, is this is like the early days of an organization like Google or of that caliber. And those organizations, they're private, at least at that point. They, they don't have a responsibility to share some of the information you guys have requested, like um, internal financial metrics and some of the reporting on their, their spending and, and other things. But they, they also, from a strategic style standpoint, especially in this space now that's moving so quickly with so many different ideas, what's their benefit to come out before everything's ready and just to start being really public about things? Because Quant doesn't need or really want the token to be hyped and just pumped up for the price of, of moving the token. They want the token to move up, but they want it to move up through the network growing and the way it's designed to go. So if they do what we want, yeah, it'll probably go up in the short term because it'll create some hype. I mean, damn, Quant could create some serious hype with a very minimal amount of energy at this point. Uh, the fact that we have hundreds of people that are, that are tuning into this call just to hear people that are from the community talk and speculate about what we've heard over the last three, four, five years. I mean, that's, that's tremendous in and of itself. So I know that this isn't, again, super clear on, on gateways, but that's my perspective. And personally, I know that once they happen, that it's, it's not, it's not if it's when, so whether that's, a month from now or three months from now or six months from now or, or even next year, it doesn't really matter because all these fundamentals and all these ideas and these applications, they're still true and they're still growing. I mean, Quant, Gilbert has told us that 2022 is going to be bigger than 2021. And 2021 brought us the release of the Overledger network. It brought us insights uh, into LAC chain, into ODAP, into global protocols for internet development. It brought us the Oracle certification, one of the largest announcements for all blockchain of 2021. And we know that 2022 is going to be bigger, according to Gilbert. So knowing that uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to be seeing a rebrand, or sorry, not a rebrand, we're going to be seeing a new website. And then also knowing that historically, um, shifts in, in Quant's website have accompanied product releases and strategic milestones. I, I think it would probably be fair to, to expect some type of insight and clarity toward a lot of these ideas in the fairly short term so i would say when soon uh when stay stay tuned because there's a lot coming out in the short term but recognize why you're asking what you are and recognize why you want what you do because we have to we, we have to remain of the right perspective and as soon as we start shifting toward that selfish, I want my token to go up perspective. Like, yeah, of course I want $10,000 QNT. But I also recognize that Quant Network is an organization that's growing very quickly and has their own highly strategic plan for everything. It's, it's probably been thought through more than we can possibly comprehend and by people that are way smarter than me. So I am personally not worried. I know that People have some concerns around communication. People have some concerns around timelines. But just recognize this isn't a crypto project. Like, frankly, it's, it's not a crypto project. And that's why crypto could disappear and this could still be one of the world's biggest companies. <laughs> it bleeds into crypto. It has ties into crypto. Financial services is huge. But it's not a crypto company. Their goal is not to pump the token via hype. 
And that that has implications, and that's what we're seeing now. That's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a good thing because it'll survive the regulatory cleansing and, and all those different things that happen with that. But we have to acknowledge this because that is a fundamental pillar of our perspective, our expectations, and what the future of quant is going to be. So skipping forward, uh, just a, a couple more questions really quickly, unless anybody has anything they want to jump in on um, gateways and dashboard. Yeah, I mean, I can just quickly echo um, what you said about this not being a crypto company. It's like, just understand when you're invested in this, what you're investing in. You're investing in a business. You're like, I was just saying this on the Quamphy show yesterday, is that this is the first time that we've really seen a B2B company that has like a passionate community. Like that doesn't really exist. Um, and that's enabled through the token and the hype around the token, which is all justified. But think, you know, you don't have... Uh, like Salesforce doesn't have like a community that's like buzzing on Telegram, but like, oh, the new deals that they're making. And like, you don't have that. Maybe you have some consumer companies like B2C companies, like maybe Apple has a pretty strong community and things like that, because they're the ones that the product is being delivered to. But when you have a business to business company like Quant, it's not typical to have a community that is buzzing and is demanding, frankly, feedback and updates and roadmaps. Um, and then on top of that, they are white label in that most of the stuff that they're doing is under NDA and can't be talked about. So um, when you're dealing with a group of individuals like Gilbert who run the company and are very, very professional and are at the highest tiers, quite literally, of society and, and of the economic system, they're not necessarily in a rush to come to us and say, oh, here's what we're doing every day. Like, here's the update, guys. It's like, I mean, okay, to play devil's advocate to that, you could say, well, they, you know, needed us in the beginning, like when they did their ICO and Gilbert was in the telegram more. And it's like, yeah, they did. And anyone who got in then, you've been handsomely rewarded. Uh, you have 100x plus gains even today. Um, and so you got, you know, that's fine. And now they're, they're a growing company and they've reached a certain point of their maturity where they're extremely focused on enterprise. And are they building out the gateways and the community side of things? Surely they are. But is it their number one priority in order to eventually create the ecosystem that we all want and that will eventually you know, move our token price? Yeah, I think they're doing all the right things. They're obviously more invested than we are. And so they're doing what they need to do to grow the company and thus grow the network and thus grow the token. So it does really does have this air of like, not just, not just like a lack of education around the company and their goals, but also this sense of entitlement that you think that because you have access to a token, which by the way is a privilege, and we are lucky to have the opportunity, in my opinion, to be able to invest in this way directly into the utility of a company. Like, it's not like we're just like, oh, I'm going to buy the stock because I think the psychology of the net, like people are going to see the, the revenue report and it's going to go up and the stock's going to go up. It's still very much tied to psychology. We are lucky enough to have access to the actual utility of the network such that if the company succeeds, we succeed, period, point blank. So 
the entitlement comes in when it's like, oh, I bought my token. Uh, not only do I not look at it as an opportunity, I'm going to look at it as like, now I'm owed something. I'm owed something by you. Make me my millions faster, Gilbert, and actually give me more updates on what you've been up to because I bought a token. So you like, it will come out as it comes out. And it's not like it's been radio silence. That would be one argument would be like, we literally don't know anything that's going on with this company in six months. Like what the hell? That's not the case. They're excuse me, coming out with updates every week, every two weeks. They're posting on Twitter more than ever. They're going on panels that are nationally and internationally syndicated. They are pushing out to, uh, updates to their technology every two weeks. They're like partnerships are we're, we're all doing speculation around certain partnerships that seem to be evident. I mean, guys, be patient. We're early. And that's what offers you the most opportunity is being early. Uh, but it also requires patience. So um, if you find yourself getting frustrated, and it's not that we don't get frustrated, but it's like you have to zoom out. You have to zoom out and you have to, you have to understand what you're invested in. By the time we have all the answers to the, the list, even just the list of questions you received for this event today, I am fairly confident QNT is going to be a four-digit token. <laughs> I mean, there we can say it over and over and over again, and you either at this point, if you've been in the community, you agree with me, and if you haven't been in the community, I'm actually kind of surprised that you're still listening. Thank you very much. We're excited to have you here. Please join our Telegram groups. They're one of the best ways to get learned, uh, learn more about Quant and interact. But looking, looking ahead, there's, there's two more questions that I want to cover, then I'm going to open it up for questions to the group here. Uh, we had a question that was around white labels, and it came in a couple different ways. We had a question around just the team's perspective on white labeling, like have they discussed that? Um, the answer is yes. And some questions around like how many private instances of overledger or how many like white labeled instances might there be uh, as well as like, how does that then translate to the QNT token? So I'll cover this really quickly before I open it up. But what 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 a white label means is a company would be able to use Quant uh, or use one of Quant's services in their technology product, and they don't have to um, talk about it. And it's generally intentional for strategy, and it's generally under some type of like an NDA. And the idea behind this is that a company can take um, this underlying technology and they can build off of it and they can launch it as their own product. They can brand it and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Amazon and this is my AWS cloud blockchain product or, or whatever. And they can take the, the branding credit, they can tap all the network effects that come from growing that ecosystem. But at a base layer, it's all powered, or at least when, it, when they're operating through it, it's all going through Overledger, uh, quant product and ultimately the QNT token. So the strategy behind white labeling is brilliant because it allows you to quietly work within some of these biggest, some of these massive tech organizations and offer them a way to create a new product and solution and take that to market before their competitors in silence. I mean, do you, do you realize the competitive advantage that Oracle now has over um, a company like a, a comparable tech company that's not utilizing Overledger, it, it's it's enough to upset the complete corporate landscape, uh, bringing these solutions first to market. So, how many white label solutions might there be? I mean, there's no way that we will ever know the answer to this question, 
um, beyond in the future being able to reverse engineer some data off of on-chain analytics. And that's okay. <laughs> that's the way it's designed. You aren't going to find out from Apple what type of new technology they're researching for, like this new chip years before they bring it to market, because why would they share their competitive edge? Why would they share their internal strategy, their secret sauce that allows them to do things that their competitors can't do? Uh, and just in the same, why would Quant want to risk the or risk that first mover advantage by going public when they don't have to? So by scaling in this stealth mode, where they've been for years and years now working with some of the largest entities across the world from regulatory bodies to financial services to entire governments and central banks. I mean, Quant, it, it sounds a bit silly to say, but Quant is, is virtually connected the entire world in one way or another. When you, when you really step back and, and you look at all of the first and secondary connections we have, I mean, it's, it's truly, truly incredible stuff. And, 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 and really even just a fraction of what we know in future state is probably enough to have a life-changing impact on every single person here right now. Like we, I, I confidently believe that we are underestimating the best case scenario here, like without a doubt. Uh, so over, over ledger, and then is the QNT token used in a white level solution. So yes, um, as previously mentioned, clients and users of Quant's technology don't have to interact with crypto. In fact, if you look at how it's all being designed from the developer language to the universal um, abstract technology nature to just the, you know, the, the function of the treasury itself, it is all designed and optimized for the existing world first. Quant's technology is designed for people that don't know anything about crypto to use it. It's kind of like the, the WordPress introduction for, for blockchain but also rolled into one suite of services and products that is regulatory and tax compliant and, um, you know, any uh, AML compliant. It's just, it's pretty crazy how big this actually gets, but yes, it all does flow through the, the QNT token. And just like when you went to go, uh, let, let's say I want to go get the newest version of, of Microsoft word. I just buy a license and I download the program. It's, it's the same thing. You know, consumer is going to pay with their credit debit card, whatever. And, there you have your, your transaction to the back and, you know, it has, it's all automated, it's all programmed and, it, and ultimately it'll all be visible on chain too. So any questions on uh, white labels? Does, uh, do you have to apply for a white label or uh, can any MDAV developer use, use that product? So as in um, like the, the process of just having it be um, under the radar and not being publicly discussed? Right, like if I created an MDAP and I uh, didn't necessarily want, uh, you know, to brand, to, you know, give Quant the recognition. Well, I, I, I can only speculate on this, but I would assume that that is just part of the discussion that, that Quant has between the, the people that are offered their services and the people that are using them. Um, there Maybe there's some type of also like contractual obligation from Quant where they say you, you can't talk about a certain thing until you know X date or, or whatever. It might go both ways. But um, 
I, I don't really have a whole lot of insight into that as I don't work for Quant. I would imagine. So the idea of a white label is a benefit to the client, right? Because you can just take ownership of the technology essentially, and you're licensing it from quant, but you're saying I built this. Um, so the reason you would do that is because you want to like, let's say offer some sort of multi blockchain service or product to your clients. Um, and in that respect, I'm, I would definitely imagine that this, this is a type of license that Quant offers. So if you were to uh, get some sort of license, um, you can't just claim it as your own without actually paying for that opportunity. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but that wouldn't, it wouldn't make much sense to me for Quant to just say, hey, come use us for like the minimum rate and then like offer us out without us being compensated in any way. That wouldn't make a ton of sense to me, but again, like we are speculating here. We could probably find that out. Like if you're an enterprise and you approach Quant and do some sort of um, some walkthrough with their team or something like that, um, that might actually be an interesting exercise, but um, there is a bit of, you know, still opacity to um, or opaqueness to um, kind of how they operate with the, on the enterprise side. Um, as Hungarian mentioned, with regards to um, working in stealth mode for as long as possible in order to protect, I believe, uh, you know, the market and their approach. And and just so you know that we aren't making this up, we're not, um, you know, we, we have something to work off of here. Gilbert has talked loosely about this strategy before, um, talking about the I think it's in specific, it was the LCX interview from May, I believe, of 2021. He was asked about the white labels, and he essentially explains that that's how it's intentionally designed. You know, Quant is designed to be the base layer of technology that anybody can take and build their new product on. It's like, it's, it's the sandbox for Web3, really. And they don't need or really even want anyone to know what's happening under the surface because it's about allowing other people to build. It's about fostering an environment that facilitates innovation. Uh, and that's, you know, that's evident through all of their behavior. If you look at the, the creation of the global ISO standards, if you look at all of the different committees that, that Gilbert and team is involved with, if you look at how much work they're doing to enable and empower people across the world. I mean, look at the developer course. They just for free, by the way, they released a course to help all of the world's developers learn how to use Overledger. Um, and it, it also goes into some blockchain stuff too. I mean, the, the actions and the communication align. <clears throat> uh, Hungarian, I mean, when you talk about like the base layer of everything, I think that like we should talk about ODAP a little bit because I think it could be possibly misconstrued um, in the sense that like, why would a, and how could a private company like Quant actually be the base layer for the internet? Um, because that's not actually the case, right? And it wouldn't actually make sense for that to happen. And nobody would actually want that. So do you think we should talk about ODAP a little bit? Because there is a layer deeper than Quant. Um, and kind of the distinction between ODAP and Overledger, I think is something that's really important. You read my mind, man. In fact, if you want to take that away, and at some point, uh, the couple questions on here, and actually it's pretty relevant, questions around competition. 
And I think that's where ODAP will come in too. So the one question around CCIP uh, in relation to ODAP, what does that mean? How do they contrast? Are they competitors? Why or why not? Uh, and then differentiation of quant from uh, different types of interoperability solutions and particularly how that would pertain to the development of the ODAP standard. Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna leave the competition question just to the side for a moment, um, but just, I pinned a, a tweet to a thread that I did on ODAP, which I, if, you know, if you're interested in this conversation, I think it's pretty vital that you start to wrap your head around what ODAP is, um, because like I said, we're not gonna have a private company that is the base infrastructure for the internet, because that doesn't make any sense. And Overledger is a product that will run on the new internet. And it's the first product that is compliant with the new internet protocol. That new internet protocol is ODAP. And it hasn't been officially declared as such because it's still in drafting phase and being published through the IETF. So the IETF is the Internet Engineering Task Force. This is a group of individuals who uh, have, they were the ones that basically pushed through TCP IP and they manage HTTP, the protocol that runs your browser, and SMTP, which is email protocol. And all of these um, protocols have to be spelled out every little fine detail about how they work and how they resolve issues and what happens if they go down and all these things. And exactly all the technical stuff, these are all published the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force. And MIT were the ones that worked with them on TCP IP um, in order to you know, help packets move around the internet and things of this nature, the way that we have the internet now, the internet of information where you can move around pictures and text and videos and all the fun stuff that we do. Now, in order to move around digital assets that actually hold economic value like cryptos, uh, you're gonna need an upgraded secure cryptographic protocol that actually enables the move of these assets and can interoperate with the internet as it is now. So it's, a, it's, um, it's basically blockchain when people think about, oh, you know, blockchain is the new layer to the internet. It's like, this is really what they're talking about is something like ODAP, which is the Open Digital Asset Protocol, which is being written and published through Quant Network, MIT, Intel, IBM, US government, and tons of other companies that are working on it, contributing to it. Um, telecoms companies, financial institutions that are working through the IETF. They've now been publishing drafts for about a year and a half. Um, there's five different drafts that they're working on that address different things across gateways and ODAP itself. And all, uh, there's a bunch of different drafts and they're making progress. It's still going to take another year or two, according to Thomas Arjano, who is the chief technology officer at MIT Connection Science, who's working directly with Quant Network. Um, and they were just on a panel the other day together um, on the Financial Times Crypto Summit. So this is a really important protocol because what it does is it essentially, instead of having a third party to, to interoperate systems like we do now, whether that is a centralized body like a Coinbase, like if I want to put my Bitcoin and make it into Ethereum, I can get onto an exchange and I can buy it and then sell the other one. And there you go. Now I have my new one or I set it backwards. You sell what you have, you buy the other one that acts as a form of interoperability in that sense. Right. But you can also maybe use a bridge. Um, you can use wormhole or you can use the Binance bridge or you can use some other protocol 
that will lock up my tokens on one side and mint them on the other. And it enables me to like have value on one chain and then start using that value in a sense on the other chain. But you're still relying on a middleman, even though it's a slightly more decentralized and there's not like humans that are running it. It's a smart contract. It's still a middleware. And that still creates vulnerability, right? And, and if you try to start to scale that up and every system and every network needs to like have a middleman, it's going to get really messy and there's a cascading effect if one or two of those links start to get uh, broken or hacked or anything like that. And we've seen, you know, our countless share of hacks, especially over the last year. And so what ODAP is proposing is the use of API gateways, which essentially take any network and it, it dumbs the network down into the simplest form, which is bytes and bits. It's the simplest form of code. And so now you have a common language across all networks. And now you have this, this protocol that it says, hey, I have this data. I can do this with it, whatever it's programmed on my side through my gateway. So I'll take my network one, my blockchain one, and I'll put a gateway one in front of it. Then you have blockchain two or network two, and you have gateway two in front of it. And now gateway one and two are able to speak to each other without having to know what's behind it, without having to know what's on the blockchain or how that consensus mechanism works or anything about that network. It can just communicate gateway to gateway. And there's no middleman involved. It's just a common protocol. And that's the base layer. That is an open standard for anybody to come in and, and to, through the use of an API gateway can now plug into this network of networks and connect their network in and start to move data around in a, in a free way. And what Quan has done is on top of helping build out this protocol, they are building Overledger, which is the first example and first ODAP compliant gateway provider. Okay, so in order to access this quote unquote new internet, this upgraded digital asset flowing internet, uh, Overledger provides software that can do just that and plug in. And not only can you plug in this, and, and there will be other people, right? There will be other networks, especially once ODAP gets officially published. Like once the Internet Engineering Task Force publishes ODAP, and says, okay, this is the open digital asset protocol. These are the standards by which all digital assets will be flowing across the internet. This is a new foundational protocol for the internet itself. And again, the same people that put out the, the protocols that we use now are building this. So this is very significant. Um, once this is published, then you're going, I mean, what do you think Google's going to do? Do you think they're going to be like, nah, or do you think they're going to use the Internet Engineering Task Force protocol? What do you think Amazon's going to do? What do you think Microsoft's going to do? This is the, the new standard. And then all of a sudden, so they may, you know, maybe they allow for, they build their own gateways and gateway services for people to plug into this new Internet. And that's all well and good. Um, there will be competition in that sense. But Quant, not only are they the first to market um, and building in a compliant and regulatory fashion, and, and again, ODAP is all, uh, going through ISO TC 307 and um, kind of complying with the standards that are already in place and are being worked on. Um, not only are they already all set up with that, but they are also patent pending in terms of their different products that, that are ODAP compliant. So for instance, these multi-ledger smart contracts. So they are applying across the world for these patents that are already being examined and Basically, what they, they are, for instance, the one is an ordering and filtering 
layer is what they're patenting. So the, this idea, we talked about this multi-DLT lightning network, where you have this layer two that lives above all blockchains and distributed ledgers. And basically what it does is it, when you say ordering and filtering, you're basically taking transactions from across all these different networks um, through your one app, right? I have my one app that speaks to all these different networks. And it, that transaction happened here and it happened here and it happened here. And it's all in one ledger, essentially. Um, and the way that that orders and filters, that technology is being patented. So while the Amazons or the Googles or whoever can build ways to access this new internet and to retrieve and find and, and offer data, they're not going to be able to, unless they find a way around the patent, uh, be able to offer uh, multi-ledger smart contract creation. And so that's pretty big because they'll have the interoperability of allowing you know, being able to speak to different networks, but they won't be able to build or offer the building of robust multi-DLT smart contracts without the use of Overledger. Um, so that's a really uh, important distinction. Um, there's another patent that, they're, that they've applied for, for the multi-ledger tokens, which we already talked about, where QRC20 is an example of that. Um, the central bank digital currencies are going to be uh, examples of multi-ledger tokens. So not only can you have the smart contracts that can read from across these different blockchains and all settle in a single smart contract, but you'll also have these tokens that can live across multiple blockchains at the same time. And then all the transactions, if I spend it on Solana and I also spend it on Corda and then someone else spends it on Bitcoin, uh, then it's all settling in, a, in, a, in one specific ledger uh, back in Overledger. So that's also being patented as well. So the multi-ledger tokens and the multi-ledger contracts. Um, so that is, there's the layering if you think about it, right? So you have ODAP is this common protocol for all digital asset transfer that's being standardized by the IETF. Then you have the way it works is through API gateways. That's how you plug in. Quant and Overledger are developing an API gateway service that, anyone can come up with, but they are now patenting the specifics and the layer above that, which is like these multi-ledger uh, capabilities across tokens and contracts through the, their API gateway service. So I know that's a lot, but um, I just think that ODAP is really ultimately the thing that will break this wide open um, once people start to realize the power and the necessity for API gateways. Um, API gateways, as outlined in the thread at the top, um, can also be used within bridging systems to provide resiliency and security. So it's not to say that bridges have no use. There are going to be, there is going to be value in having like private bridges or, or just like, I just want network to network, like more robust infrastructure for this to this and be able to tinker and, and tweak it and make it, you know, specific for our business or our application that still be there. But if you, but ultimately it needs to come back to, it needs to go through an API gateway at the end in order to provide the, the standardization of the endpoints. And so, uh, yeah, ODAP is kind of the thing that is the biggest deal as far as I'm concerned. And then Overledger is the, a private product on top of this incoming standard across the entire internet. I just want to like rewind and play that over again, because that was like one of the best descriptions of ODAP and how quant and API gateways fit into that whole, and into the whole infrastructure. So 
Greg, thank you for explaining that. That was absolutely fantastic. I, I just want to highlight one key thing here because I, guys, I'm not coming at this from a technical background. I'm not from uh, tech at all. Blockchain and, and computer science is something that I've had to learn over the last couple of years. And so excuse my <laughs> extrapolations and analogies and, and my, my lack of comprehension of different subjects. But something that stands out to me a lot when we talk about these types of things is like the history. So I, I'm not an internet engineer. I'm not a, a software designer. I don't. I couldn't tell you how the code works, and I couldn't look at the raw code and tell you the difference between the two. Like I can't. But what I can tell you is that when I see something like the same people that made the very infrastructure of the internet today, working with Quant and working with all of the same entities that basically define our modern landscape. You don't have to be a technology expert to understand that. You don't have to understand how to code in blockchain. You don't have to be a Solidity developer to, to recognize that when you see the same people who made the internet protocols of today that power the internet for billions of people, those same people are working with Quant. They're working with institutions across the world. They're working with some of the largest cybersecurity and telecom and payment companies in the world. The fact that they've been doing this and that we see consensus now uh, coming through. So we see, um, like I'll reference a paper from Hyperledger where they talk about different solutions for interoperability. And ultimately the API gateway is the best approach to interoperability. And Overledger represents the preeminent solution in that category. So Overledger is the best API gateway interoperability solution, and API gateways is the best way to interoperate. So now that we have this global standard for how the internet is coming together, ODAP, it's important to recognize the reference material for ODAP is the architecture for Overledger. I'm going to say that again. The reference material for the global internet standard for how we're going to connect value and transact with each other the reference material is the architecture for Overledger. Now, I'm not a, again, I'm not a software engineer, but that speaks volumes to me. So looking at the time, we're coming up on two and a half hours now. Absolutely tremendous amount of time. I, I thank all of you for sticking with us this long, but I want to make sure that we get enough time to still cover a few more community questions. I know that there have been people that have been waiting patiently uh, and if we don't get a chance to answer your questions today, we'll probably do, we'll, I'll certainly make sure that we do events like this in the future. I have a lot of fun talking about quant. I think that a lot of people enjoy hearing about quant. So if this is something you'd like to see more of, make sure that you let us know. But uh, opening it up now just to general questions for the community. Let's uh, start off with um, Ayush. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much. I have so many doubts about this space and all this NFT and all these things. Today, I must say that you made my all the query so easy. Thank you so much. But I have a one question, man. I'm so I'm so confused with my pictures that this pictures work on NFT or not. That should I put this pictures or not? Uh, please allow me to share my few pictures. I'm from India. I'm a photographer. I'm capturing my country from last five or six years. And I have some bunch of uh, collection of photographs, emotions, feeling some culture. So please allow me to share. Hey, man, a few are you chilling your NFT project? I want to hear about Quant. 
Yeah, I used. Did you have a question about uh, Quant? Or I mean, we're not going to really do the um, sharing other projects thing on this stage, if that's cool. Um, did you have a Quant specific question? I, I had a quick question. Thank you for letting me talk. Can you explain the difference? And I know there is one between Quant and Interledger Protocol. Uh, Quant sounds a lot broader. But can you give me a kind of a beginner's uh, explanation uh, of the difference between these two things? Thank you. I'm going to have to pass on that one. I know Interledger is a, a Ripple-based thing, but I actually have not, you know, again, I'm also, we don't have any engineers on this stage right now, unfortunately. I don't think it, that Interledger has anything has, oh, has anything to do with this project at all. I don't know why it's even brought up. With Quant, you mean? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, people like to do comparisons, so I can understand why. That's completely different. There's a smart contracts thing. It's not even that good. And Oh, God, who wants to get into it? It has nothing to do with this project. There's no comparison. There's, like, just similar names in, like, some type of documentation. Do you have any insight specifically onto Interledger or how they compare other than just it's bad so we can help educate? Um, I'm kind of confused. You're asking me to explain why there's no comparison? Yeah, well, you, you chimed in pretty aggressively there, so I was hoping you could maybe provide some more color on Interledger. Well, I think the conversation just be focused on Quan, should it? Yeah, it could be, but also I'm co-hosting it. So if you wanted to come in with that energy, I'm just asking if you want to educate or just interrupt. Otherwise, we can move along. Well, I'll just say this. Um, Interledger, for the most part, um, it, it's, um, it just allows, it's just a communication system. It's nothing to do with the internet, creating the new form version of the internet. I don't really, I'm sorry, man. I'm, just, I'm not trying to interrupt. I just don't really think that it's relevant. I, I understand. Where Jimmy, you're did from. you have a question about Quant? No, I just, I'm just here to defend Quant from the, the people who are trying to take away the, the spotlight. I, I would say, um, because there, there's obviously a lot of different opinions here. And with crypto, we see a really unique dynamic because of the personal interest we can have, the personal financial gain. We see this, like, obviously very strong passion and agreement and alignment with um, our respective, whether it is a, like a, a protocol or a token or a project. And when you see the larger ones, especially when they have even just ideas that are similar, um, when we come at it, because we don't necessarily know a whole lot about how the technology works, it's a very normal question to, to look at that and to try to understand how this might differentiate. I mean, I think that from an investment standpoint, not a tech standpoint, but from a, like a capital preservation standpoint, all of us at some point throughout our journey into investing, our journey into cryptocurrency, we've likely doubted ourselves. We've likely taken steps to um, maybe check things that we're unsure about, or we've found ways to uh, ensure that we're making the right decision because, you know, there, there's going to be varying levels, but a lot of us have quite a lot on the line invested in what we believe in is, is the future of the internet. So when we look at comparing um, something like uh, ILP to um, like Overledger or Overledger Network, 
uh, as I'm not a technical expert here, I can't really tell you on the, the specifics offhand. I would actually have to reference material. There's quite a lot of things. So if you want to connect with me um, in, I don't remember who asked this question, but if, if you want to connect with me offline, I can send you some stuff via DM. But um, there are fundamental architectural differences in how they operate and in what their use cases are. And ultimately what Quant and Overledger is solving is something that's it's at such a high level that it's not seen anywhere else in crypto. So like even like so you see some projects out there that are looking at doing like routing protocols. You see, you know, some out there that are looking at different types of ideas for new standards and, and things. But the level that Quant is operating at is at a global stage. So it, it really um, it, it doesn't matter too much because even as competition inevitably arises and you see use cases and, and things develop in, in different areas the total addressable market and potential for value accrual through the QNT token is, is more than we can possibly comprehend. I mean, some of the, the smartest people in this space expect the, the blockchain internet, the internet of value to be valued over tenfold that of the, the current internet. And for rough figures, again, I, I don't have it on hand, but I believe it's like uh, 10 trillion to 150 trillion or, or something around that, which is massive, truly enormous numbers. So when we look at um, like the relative market share, quant holds like, I think it's 0.01% or something. I wrote an article on this a while back, but it's like quant already has a fairly small portion of the total value that is just in the crypto space itself. If you look at what is expected to happen into the total crypto space, the total web three, the future of the internet of value, however you want to look at it, this space is expected to grow hundreds and hundreds of times uh, in, in multiples. So even if quant maintains its current market share of the crypto universe, which keep in mind, we know there's a lot of noise in crypto. There's a lot of value that is not stable, that is probably not going to be there in the future. So even if quant maintains its current very small portion, again, 0.01% or whatever of the market share, even if we maintain that, it is a five-digit token uh, at some of the conservative expectations for IoT, IOV value in, in the five to 10-year range. And that's not even like factoring in all the growth and network effects of the actual technology. Like, I think of Reed's Law, either these isolated pockets of value that happen because of innovation. Uh, we, we have not really even begun to see the translation of value into the QNT token uh, nor have we begun to see the standardized perspective of efficacy, I guess, in, in technology. Like the fact that we we can't even explain to each other why these things are that different without going into extensive research material or without having someone who's an expert. I mean, that, that really tells you where we're at right now. So yeah, if we, we do the time and we, we do the research like we've done, we can get to those answers and, and that's what we have our thoughts or feelings or, our conviction and our conclusions. But ultimately this space has so much opportunity and quant position the way they are as a first mover. Um, it, it doesn't really matter what other protocol, what other protocols are successful, what other projects uh, end up going. Like there's going to be a lot of ways to make money in crypto. And there's going to be a lot of companies that end up coming out of this that influence the global landscape. And that's awesome. Quant needs all of that. In fact, without that, you could argue quant doesn't have any value. 
the way that I, Quant I, fails is by nothing else being built. The, so I've I've read about Quant. I've read about obviously XRP and her letters. Blah blah blah. It's so early. Uh, I appreciate your answer. It was purely a technical, not trying to. I love what what Overledger is doing. I've read a little bit about it. I've listened to Gilbert. I wow, it's fascinating. From a my question was primarily from a technical standpoint. I'm going to go back and read more. But thank you so much for that. Um, I've also invested in both projects. I think just I'm not shilling anything, but I think this is a phenomenal project. Um, anyway, thank you for the answer. Appreciate it. Yeah, if, if I can respond really briefly on the technical side, I'm also um, not an engineer uh, by any stretch. Um, but to me, it always begins and ends with um, what what is it created to do? And if you look at, uh, at, at XRP, again, I am not very well read up on, on intellectual protocol, um, but it's quote-unquote another network, another blockchain, um, another DLT, same as uh, a lot of other L1s, uh, Ethereum, Polkadot, um, and, and the rest of them. And, and, and what always happens with those networks is that there is always a degree of, <clears throat> sorry, a degree of vendor lock-in, and there is always uh, a, a, a degree of, of, of a bottleneck or limitations eventually. And what Quant tries to do with Overledger is kind of like, um, like, like Twitter spaces here. All the speakers here have their own perspective, their own specialties, their own um, things they like to talk about or they, they, are, they are very proficient at. And, 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 and Twitter spaces makes us all shine, it makes us all better. It lets us all communicate together. And, and, and maybe you can try and see Overledger as, as being that, and, and obviously a lot more. Um, and, and, and just like Hungarian said earlier, Overledger and, and Quant on its own um, is, is, is kind of useless because um, same as ODAP, Quant in itself isn't, isn't all that much. We need to MDAPs in the future um, to um, to work the magic, so to speak. So we're gonna need the the little bits of ILP, and we're gonna need the little bits of Solana, and we're gonna need a little bit of Bitcoin, and, and a little bit of other fairy dust and and and, and whatnot. Maybe throw in a little NFT thing, then stir it all up, create a dashing AMDAP, and and improve the world that way. That's why Gilbert once said, and I I think the quote is in Maine. Um, that he is like really interested in what we are going to build. He is going to provide us with with, with, um, with the infrastructure to build on, with the tools, and 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 he needs us, communities, and and the other projects um, to use our imagination and build what we need. He's not going to think for us. So it, in in comparison with, with IOP, they provide a very specific. Um, product for a spe very specific market and in my mind that is finance um and it's it's a dlt or or a blockchain i'm not even sure uh, about that blockchain is a dlt but um i hope that kind of answers your question so you have totally different uh different goals different use cases um and and, and they'll obviously uh, both exist um and, and they will have overlap perhaps um but Overledger is, 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 is so much more, um, for so much more. Thank you.
Hi, uh, going off what you said there, um, I kind of think that the main point is that ILP is really targeting just the financial sector um, and that quant targets other verticals. And so my, uh, uh, my question is, how does uh, the quant token, um, how is that involved in other verticals other than finance? Like, I need someone to help me connect the dots where, um, say, um, a supply chain company has, you know, (laughs) used Corda to build out their, uh, you know, blockchain-based systems, you know, their infrastructure. Um, Why does, you know, how does Quant manage their data in a way that, is good for the quant token, if that makes sense. Honestly, yeah. it doesn't really make a lot of sense because you know quant itself isn't really managing the data. It's like a foundational layer. It's helping coordinate the data, but the token is not really connected to it. The success of the project is based on people utilizing the token. It's true, but I don't think it's fair to say that by managing so-called data, which I'm, I'm guessing you refer to block space, that somehow, because it's not really a question of its block space, especially with other projects, is block space, right? Right. Uh, like, I can be more uh, specific. How does what? Quant? How how does Quant um, create interoperability for non-finance sectors? Well, yeah, I, I have I a third-party uh, I can probably. I, I'm not I'm not as technical as some people on this call, but one thing I am decent at is is distilling it down pretty simply. Look, it, Quant, it, it's not managing data for anyone. What it's doing is allowing people to connect their data. It's in basically ways just like Plaid, but you know, for for Web three. Yeah, they're they're allowing them to connect their data in ways they haven't before. So maybe you're a supply chain company. Let's say you're UPS and you're using this new supply chain DLT. Maybe you're using Morpheus Network or you're using Vet or whatever. Um, before, maybe you didn't trust selling some of that data to third parties. Maybe hedge funds want that data so they can trade on it. Maybe some of your retailers want more access to data than you're currently giving them. Um, but one, you have to be able to do that in a trustful manner, and you want to make money on it. And so Quant allows you to connect that data to these other, let's say, platforms, whether that's you know the, the hedge fund desk at Goldman Sachs and whatever software they're using, or... It's, you know, the software at some retailer. Um, that's the value that Quant creates is that connection and the, manip- the ability to manipulate the data in a way that it can be accepted readily and easily with no bottleneck by these other systems. So why does the, why, how does the token come into play? The token is literally the gas that's used to facilitate that connection. Okay, and so that's really what Quant does. What what Interledger is uh, trying to do is like these other platforms, as other people alluded to, it's it's building an island and an ecosystem that can solve a lot of problems. But you have to be in that ecosystem. What Quant is trying to do is connect all these disparate ecosystems, whether it's Oracle software, Microsoft software, it's the existing internet, it's uh, new you know Web three platforms like Polkadot or uh, you know, any of them, Solana, Ethereum, Bitcoin, even 
it allows you to connect to these systems. And so the value of the quant platform is in the connection itself. And why the token has so much potential to appreciate is because you're going to need to use the token to pay for that connection. And it's from what, what I understand the last time they told us, it's going to be a kind of pay as you go. You know, you're going to need the token every time you hit a connection. Now, we're still waiting for more details from the company if there's going to be, you know, at the Oracle and SEA level, are they going to pay a ton of money and get unlimited use for that annual contract? Maybe. Or maybe governments do something like that. But individual software developers, individuals like us, more often than not, are probably going to have to pay per use of that overledger network. Um, and so, so to me, that's the value of the token is that as the demand to connect all these systems and use data, like in that example I gave, in different ways and bring value to existing data in ways that hasn't been unlocked, um, as that demand for that type of ability grows, the demand for the token naturally grows as well. And oh, by the way, people are going to be staking their tokens so that they can have bigger throughput in their gateways that they run, which will be you know, the, effectively the nodes of facilitation of the network. And so there's this virtuous cycle where if you're a quant holder and you're running a gateway and you are rewarded in quant for running that gateway, if you decide to take that quant token you received as a reward and put it back into the gateway, you have more bandwidth to facilitate all these connections. So that's a lot. I kind of went down the rabbit hole, but think of XRP, great. It's targeting finance. It's changing its um, structure dramatically. I don't pretend to be up to date on it, but what I'll tell you is they're going after bank remittances and international FX. They're trying to be a liquidity provider, which is not something Quant do. Quant does. There's a reason why XRP and Quant are both in the uh, Digital Pound Foundation, because they're actually technologies that work hand in hand and are not necessarily competing, even though maybe some of their scope overlaps here and there. So hopefully that helped, guys. I want to add something that you just said regarding um, the quant tokenomics. Um, yeah, you, you, you described the quant token as being the gas. I think that's selling it a little bit short. And um, I'm not going to want to go through all the tokenomics again because we, we, we've done that at the beginning of this Twitter space. So if people want to know more about that, um, I highly recommend um, after we're done. To, to re-listen to this. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of juice. It's kind of redundant to do that, um, to repeat that again. Um, what is important to remember is that everything uh, that the token does and, and needs to get paid for is paid for in fiat. And that's what distinguishes Quant from, from the vast majority of all other projects because the client does not have to own any tokens if they don't want to and it's 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 it, it's been said before um but it, it got skipped by pretty quickly um but everybody needs to pay in fiat and that means that all the um all the fees and all the costs and all those things are denominated in fiat that means that um regardless if the price goes goes goes, goes up or down of the token fiat rates remain the same which is really interesting because that means that the lower the qt price then the more qt is needed for for the same transaction as when the price is higher if that makes sense so that also means that lockups um will 
will require more tokens if the price is lower, etc. So there's always an equilibrium where there is, um, well, it's not really equilibrium, it's, it's really deflationary, where there is uh, more tokens needed the longer the network operates. Um, I wanted to, to, to nuance on that a little bit. Thanks. That, that's a great point. And I think it's often overlooked. And if people, the simplest way to explain it is with Ethereum and the gas fee problem, why is Ethereum so expensive? It's because they don't have this treasury mechanism where fees are paid in fiat like you associated. And it creates a virtuous cycle. Um, it, it's self, a self-correcting mechanism, as you said, when uh, you know the token is uh, cheaper, it takes more of the tokens to cover those costs of the demand. And even as the, ultimately the major bet on the token is that that demand will continue to grow over time. And so it'll take, uh, you know, more and more tokens to cover uh, a transaction, if you will, or a bigger percentage of a token to cover a transaction, to cover that demand. Uh, and we all know that the amount of QNT is fixed, right? And so that's the key. That's the dynamic that creates an incredibly virtuous cycle uh, over a supply ramp, or excuse me, a demand ramp that if you look at Bitcoin adoption, look at Web3 adoption is, is going parabolic and is outpacing the internet. Absolutely loving the discussion here, guys. Thank you so much to all of our community members that have jumped in to both ask questions and, and contribute. I, I truly appreciate every single one of you guys. We have, looking at the time, we've got about 10 minutes left here, and I want to make sure we get through as much as possible. So we're going to use these last few minutes to go through a couple more community questions. But again, keep in mind, I do plan on running uh, similar events like this. I, I can see that you guys are enjoying the discussion. I know that I am, and I know that there's so much more that we can talk and share about with Quant. And knowing that we're moving into an environment in, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to have increasing clarity and visibility on some of these core ideas. It's going to be exciting to, to revisit some of these discussions with increased clarity and with new perspective on what this actually looks like. So knowing that we're closing out here in the last few minutes, just keep in mind, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, but also stay tuned because this is not the end of the discussion. So opening up for a few more questions here. Uh, any other questions from the community on Quant's QNT, Quant products in general? Shall we first do Mark and then Perea, or Perea first? If you go for me? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, so my question was, uh, do these latest updates, like the connectors to the layer ones or any other changes to the, uh, like the version of the overledger, do you think they are like necessary or critical for the community gateways, not to just like for the company to make them, but like for them to be actually useful? And if the answer is yes, like, uh, are there any other changes you're looking forward to so that uh, at that point you think the community gateways are actually uh, are, are a useful thing, if that makes sense? Well, there's two ways to look at this because we have the, the development of quant and the products as they relate to the crypto space and the crypto sphere. And then we have the development and the rollout of products as they relate to the larger world and the internet and, and DLT. So it's really easy for us, you know, being involved in this crypto space to, to look at the crypto facing um, steps to look at, you know, gateways to look at dashboards to look at, you know, public instances of overledger network and get really excited about that. And rightfully so we should be excited about those things. Though I think that something that often goes 
under, over, overlooked is that the products and services that are going to roll out from all of the enterprise partners are going to dwarf that of what comes out of the crypto space. I mean, and you think about how all of this works, you look at um, like, we'll take Oracle as an example. It's, it's just, it's, we have a lot of uh, visibility here, so it's easy to reference. We look at Oracle, they have 430,000 companies that are using their products and services. And as these different products and services across virtually every industry in the world, as they create value and applications and they take their ideas and influence from their industry and that applies to DLT and beyond, as they create these services, those services and products and MDAPs, they become extensions on the OVN. They become things that other people can access too. So personally, what I'm very excited about is to see the rollout of public and retail facing tools from some of the larger partners. I wanna see the entire suite of crypto products that Oracle comes out with that allow plug and play building for you know any type of company. Like I wanna see Oracle come out with basically Shopify for blockchain. Like is that that's the kind of stuff that's gonna come out. And then by extension, we see these network effects that we talked about ripple through and create increasing scarcity and demand for the, the QNT token, among all of the other ways that we've talked about that being a vehicle for price appreciation. So personally, that's what I'm excited about because I know that the scale, the, like the magnitude and exposure, uh, and ultimately the amount of users that are going to go into these types of products uh, will be probably a hundredfold that of the users and volume that crypto products see today. So I'm sorry, thank you for the answer, but uh, uh, like what I was saying, so when the gateways were like maybe supposed to, or I'm not saying they promised or anything, but when, when we were thought that they're going to be released earlier, maybe uh, maybe the network wasn't even ready at that point. So I'm saying maybe there are big changes that are coming that after that, the community gateways are going to be actually useful for the whole network. So uh the connectors maybe are part of that. Yeah. What would be the point of releasing access to a public network if there's less connected to it? And, you know, right now we're seeing these connectors roll out basically bi-weekly and we can only, you know, we can only guess about what's happening in the background, but um, I don't have a clear answer. None of us do because we're not um, internal employees, but yeah, it, it would make sense that if the, the product isn't out yet, then it's either not ready or it's not necessary kind of in line with that larger strategic vision. Like they're going to do what's best for the organization and the growth of the network. And if that means gateways don't come out now, then sure, cool. Like, do you guys want Quant to be a global name in, in the tech world and to ultimately then see that recognition and appreciation over the long term? Or would you rather they make reactionary, emotional, short-term moves to do things that don't necessarily impact the broader strategy? I mean, I know which one I'm picking. We had one more question, I believe. Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for putting this together. Um, I just wanted to, I'm glad we looped back around to where we did, but I wanted to touch on the Interledger Protocol versus uh, Quant Network. And I think that by looking at that, asking that question, we're kind of missing it, right? And that Interledger Protocol sucks or whatever, but um, it's actually a phenomenal technology. So is Ethereum, Polygon, all the things that Quant's connecting to because Quant is 
the key to unlocking the value of all those other networks. And that's why they chose them to, um, to utilize. So we're going to be able to take the best out of Ethereum, the best, the security of Bitcoin, the speed of interledger protocol and make these M dApps that really unlock the value um, that collectively they couldn't make on their own. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh, greater than the sum of the parts. So um, overledger not being, a, you know, not in that world. It's not a blockchain, right? Um, if I were one bank connecting to another bank, sure, you can have one corridor between Singapore and Mexico for remittances for uh, that's on interledger protocol or utilizing that one piece of interledger's protocol strength uh, combined it with security and, you know, other factors kind of almost solving the trilemma to connect any network to any network and bring the best value out of all of the ecosystems. And that's, what's going to be appealing to um, each individual sector, healthcare, finance, you know, all these other things. So I just wanted to throw that out there. All right, guys, I think we have time for one more question. Who's it going to be? Nobody? In that case... Well, uh, I'm going gonna... oh. <laughs> well, to... Just... Oh, hello, everyone. I don't have any question. I just want to say, you know, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate the effort, everything, what you do. Not only for, you know, the crypto space, but also, you know, for the whole community. And I would even say, you know, for a whole world, because definitely what I see you to provide and do into the longevity, you are one of the main key contributors to make the planet a real difference. So I'm really looking, you know, and excited to be, you know, part of the team, aka a part of the community, because, you know, I have been for the first time here. So I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your effort and looking forward to lean more towards to that. Thanks very much for that. Well, you're very welcome. I, I think that I speak for everyone when I say that we're all here because we love quant and we want to share it with everyone else. And of course, it's easy to look at like the like the internal and personal financial metrics like, oh, we want more people to be involved in the, in the quant community. And like, uh, yeah, of course, that's that's very natural. But it's so much more than that. Um, it, and I, it really is. And I, I hope that you guys recognize the authenticity and what we're trying to bring here. This, this isn't about shilling a token. This, this isn't about some type of like maximalist perspective, you know, my way or the highway. This is genuinely a, a group. Again, like I said, 10 years of collective research on this stage. It's, it's mind boggling. Um, this is a group of people that are truly excited about this technology. They're excited about what the future holds and how quant is facilitating and ushering in this entirely new world of innovation. So while the translate, well, well, these topics, they, they don't always um, have a, a direct relation to QNT or they, they don't have like, super tangible impacts um, all the time on, on what that actually means. It's because all of us here are so excited about where the future of the internet is going. And Quan is undoubtedly going to be a core part of that. So uh, thank you so much to all of our speakers. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. I'm incredibly grateful for every single person that was able to tune in, that was able to provide some value and it was, and hopefully was able to receive some value in turn. This is something that I absolutely love doing. I could talk about quant uh, all day, any day. 
Um, I actually, I do. And that's why I'm doing this. But, um, I, I think that we'll probably put something together like this and maybe maybe look at it for like a monthly forum to get together as a community and have some discussions. I think that the more that we can talk and share ideas, the stronger they're going to be. And the stronger we are as a community, the more that we can help educate others and, and the more that we can help grow Quant Network. Because yeah, you might not be a blockchain developer and you might not be uh, a software expert, but you are a part of our community. And if you can help take these ideas that we've we really try to share at a core level and you can share them in a way with other people that helps them understand. So not telling them, but helping them understand. By doing that, you play such a huge role in the growth of the quant community, in the growth of the network of this social web and, and ultimately the extension of, of you know, crypto and development from there. Recognize guys that this is not something that we can sit passively by in. If you are passionate about quant, if you are passionate about the future, that I would encourage all of you, continue learning, continue asking questions, become a part of our community, join the Telegram groups, ask questions. Um, what, what you're a part of right now is one of the most exciting and special things you could possibly imagine. I mean, from, from an investment standpoint alone, the potential upside is something that it's, it goes beyond a, a generational opportunity. This is like a once in a millennium opportunity. The, I know it sounds crazy, but the changes that are happening right now with what DLT offers, with what crypto can do, they are changing fundamental laws of human interaction that have been constant since the dawn of human history. Like since the first human interactions, human to human interactions, there are rules that have interacted and, and shaped our society. And now just within the last couple of years, technology has been created that allows all of that to change. And Quant is building, has built, has connected the ecosystem, the sandbox, the very fabric that brings this all together, that allows all of the imagination, all of the possibilities, all of the promises that innovation can bring. Quant is helping usher in this future. And all of us here in the community, we're on the forefront. And that's just an incredibly exciting place to be. So... Once again, I just want to thank all of you for, for tuning in, for contributing, for, for our speakers, and I look forward to doing more things like this in the future. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and uh, most importantly, as always, stay quampy. Hey, Hungarian, Greg, thanks for hosting this. Really appreciate it. Um, honored to be here. Love to, to, to speak and share with you guys, and I'm uh, really looking forward to the next one. <clears throat> Cheers. Yeah, I just, just signing off, wanted to say thank you to Hungarian who organized this, um, put together the agenda and did a great job hosting. Um, guys, please follow the speakers. Um, Hungarian is going to be running these rooms and does a great job. Uh, next to me is the Quamfi Show and Yarno, who both are co-hosts of the Quamfi Show, is really the only quant podcast that there is. And they're available on all platforms, uh, including YouTube with video. Um, I was just on there yesterday and it was a blast. Um, and then, uh, I've been putting out threads on Twitter, uh, pretty deep threads with regards to some of the fundamental analysis. So if you're interested in that, follow me, but yeah, um, just had a blast today and thanks again, Hungarian and look forward to do this again.
yeah, I would also like to thank you a lot. Uh, this is the first time doing a Twitter space for me, so it was all new. I was uh, afraid that I was touching the wrong buttons, but I actually managed to share some tweets in between and learn how it works. I didn't say a lot, but that is just because this was our third uh, recording this week. Uh, I think it's kind of a bit of uh, recording fatigue at this point. And you guys were just doing an amazing job, so I didn't have to moderate myself, but I usually do uh, on the show. Um, so yeah, that was great. And there were some questions that I couldn't answer. Uh, some people on Instagram asking me questions. Uh, so yeah, I'll promise you that we'll get back to it on the next episode. So we'll uh, get back to you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, that was me for tonight. And we'll see you next week. I'm gonna play. Uh, I'm gonna play one clip of Gilbert. It's like a 90 second clip, just talking about Overledger, and then Hungarian. Uh, I believe as the host, you are the only one who can close down the room. So I'm just gonna let Gilbert uh, take us out here. Thank you all. Like the idea of DApps, uh, the decentralized applications. So what we wanted to do was take that concept and make it multi DLT. So think of a payment application or an existing DApp that the people are using in DeFi to wrap it with Overledger. So you upgrade the capabilities of that DApp and you natively make it multi-DLT. You're able to have that DApp exist on Ethereum, on Ripple, on Bitcoin, on EOS, and also be linked to a quarter DLT that a bank is using internally. So we're bridging the permission permissionless world very easily. And if you take an existing financial institution that has millions of users, billions of dollars and pounds, without Overledger, they would have to go host nodes, they would have to create specific networks, different data center segments, and get custom stuff built just to be able to talk blockchain. So it's hugely complex, and it takes you know minimum eight months from our experience just to get a blockchain project up and running. And minimum, it's going to cost a, a couple of million pounds. And then if you want to use more than one blockchain, then you have to repeat that same process for all your applications and all your systems. Just connect to our API, and you can say, I want to use blockchain one, two, and seven. And all it's going to take is three lines of code. Stripe is a very good example that the payments infrastructures was hugely complex to run. And then Stripe came in and said, all you need to do is add five lines of code and you could use the Stripe API and then you can do payments. So we've taken a similar approach where we've just simplified the adoption for enterprise to use blockchain. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone. All right, comrades, going to end the stream here. Thank you so much again for being here, for interacting. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and um, I'm going to give my voice some rest after three recordings this week. Stay comfy. <laughs>